Hello, everyone. This is the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly, mostly, look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I am Robert Winfrey. I am your host. I want to start by saying thank you very much for joining us, for taking some of your time, for escaping from the world a little bit, for increasing your experience with the sport. Uh, To the extent that I can increase your knowledge, I'm happy to do so. To the extent that I can amuse you, I'm happy to do so. To the extent that the sound of my voice puts your children to sleep, I am happy to help you in that respect. However you, you, whatever you use this podcast for, I thank you for the patronage. I really do. You can be sure to follow us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts. Here on Transistor, if that's where you happen to find us, I think we're on both Pandora and Spotify. YouTube. We are on the 411 Mania YouTube channel. However you found us. I don't care. I care that you listen. Thank you very much. Alright. There will be no Jeff on this particular episode. Jeff is... It's not available. I, and to be fair, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bury the guy. I'm not gonna tell any tales out of school for anyone who understands that particular idiom. Uh, Jeff's not available. Hope he's, you know, he's doing fairly well. Hope he stays safe as parts of the world crumble, <laughs> because <laughs> that's where we are. However, you are not going to be limited to my monotonous droning. I have here with me a special guest, one that hasn't been on this show since I ousted him from the hosting duties in a bloodless coup some five years ago. Probably longer than that, actually, now that I would depress myself about my age. But the patriarch of the Radlich and Broadcasting Network wing, of uh, which is under the W2M Network umbrella, my partner in crime for movies and television whenever we happen to get together. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mark freaking Radlich. Mark... Thank you for saving the audience from just having to listen to me. Yeah, it wasn't a bloodless coup. I gave it away like a Christmas present, and I was <laughs> done with. Like, I'm no longer interested in MMA. Here, you run this happy horseshit. I'm going to go over here and talk about movies and music is what happened. Uh, yeah, I got regifted. <laughs> but hey, you know, you have uh, and made it a point to say so. Help me out on any number of occasions when... Other folks have dropped out or whatever. So uh, you just happened to catch me at the end of a The Loudest Voice watch. Uh, I was literally just wrapping up episode seven of seven. And then you put out the call and I'm like, well, I have nothing to do for the next hour. So nothing to watch, believe it or not. So I was like, yeah, I watched the show. Sure, I'll talk about it as best I can. Well, again, I deeply appreciate you stepping up on short notice and... Hopefully the our antics don't drive the listener base even further down. Uh, if this goes anything like my old coverages used to go, you're going to get a lot of hate mail. Um, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I am so... I, I don't know. I, I'm in such a weird place with how I think about what I do now with coverage. Uh, I don't get hate mail. No, you're I, A, I, good at it. B, you're you're fairly... I don't want to say dry because dry sounds like an no, insult. no, no. It's dry. It's, I am a, I am very dry. You're not putting up a picture of Ronda Rousey with like arrows pointing at her and then referring to Liz Carmouche as like pig hostage, like I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, the sad thing is, the only reason you got hate over calling Liz Carmouche that was just people didn't understand the reference. 
that it was a lot of things. It was the MMA, the four one one wrestling MMA comment area is not exactly filled with people who are uh, taken with sarcasm and wit. You know, playfulness, the kind of thing I tend to bring to a broadcast or a, a written piece of uh, information. So I like to do, you know, I'm a bit of a peacock. I like to do things with a bit of flair. Uh, I like to like to in, invest some humor into things. And uh, my readers just wanted me to, like Dragnet, stick to the goddamn facts. Hey, that look, that's <laughs> what I did. And I have single-handedly, like, dr- driven the, the entire MMA zone into the ground. So, well, okay. I mean, <laughs> I, I think uh, the uh, UFC look, I, Hang on. I, I, that is true. The UFC schedule over the last, the way they have escalated their schedule as I've, I've seen other people say this and I agree with it. The UFC's schedule of events is fundamentally designed to burn out its fan base. Yeah. I have, I have been an MMA fan through, I think three or four distinct generations of, of other fans that have come in and left. Yeah. I mean, look, I've I've been here forever, but I I think the I think not counting the odd show I caught with a large group of friends at someone's house or a bar. um, And I can point to two of them. There was Brock Lesnar, Frank Mir, and then GSP Bisping. No, GSP. Who the fuck was on that one? Brock Mir 2. UFC 100. Oh, 2? Yeah. That's That's UFC 200. No, I'm sorry, that's no, that is 100. Yeah, it was 100. So that's Brockmere, that's um, uh, Biz, it's not not Bisbing, that's GSP and uh, Tiago Alves. Yeah, and, and then Dan Henderson, Dan Henderson and Michael Bisbing. That's what I was okay. I was completing. That, that's where the GSP Bisbing thing came from because they're yeah. on the same card, just not fighting each other, not yet at least. Well, um, the result was the same bo- when they did fight each other. Michael Bisbing clob- clobbered on the ground and then unconscious. Um, so yeah, so I caught that one at a friend's house and then Brock Lesnar, Randy Couture, I caught at the local Hooters with a whole bunch of people. But the first MMA fight that I caught at home where I was like, okay, Melissa and newborn baby child, uh, this is it. This is the thing I'm into right now. This is my current obsession. And that was BJ Penn, Diego Sanchez. And I was watching steadily to the point that I got, and I was actually just telling Chris Sheehan this over on blogging into the void and Chris is on infinite earths and the 800 projects that he does. Um, like I got so into MMA, I started doing the column and then I started doing the, uh, the podcast. And I, I think when the Fox deal started, I I think it was this, I think the Fox deal starts. I'm, I had been starting to do coverage and then Fox came in and their cover, their, shows picked up their calendar picked up so i started doing more coverage and then i kind of just became the guy and then my wife was like are they paying you for this i'm like well they're sending me money for the pay-per-views my wife's like you have a kid and a wife and a job knock that shit off she's nodding affirmatively so (laughs) so i quit doing it because it became a job and then you took over yeah i did um but the point of me bringing that up is i've been kind of in and out of watching MMA, I watch kind of the stuff that interests me and the other stuff. I'm like, I don't even know who these people are. So, um, but I think just because like everybody else, I'm starved for combat sports. You know, there's been no boxing since late February, early March, uh, which that's coming back in June. Thank God. But like, 
professional wrestling isn't really doing it for me. And I can't imagine why the WWE product right now isn't invigorating your senses. Yeah, I mean it's something, but it's not. I'm looking for real like fight, like combat sports competition. There's, so there's been no bare knuckle. There's been no UFC. There's bare knuckles not look. Bare knuckles not real anyway. Hi, I'm Mark. Have we met? Uh, <laughs> look, you can enjoy it all you want. I'm just saying. So my point is, like, I've been prone to watching what's been on lately, even even if, like, a year ago, if you're like, are you going to watch Gilbert Burns versus Tyrone Woodley? I'd have been like, no, I would I would rather do something else. And a lot of times there would have been something else to watch. There wasn't, and I'm starved. I'm thirsty, as the kids say. So I did watch the show last night. Um, I'm going to... We're going to play a game tonight, and that is you convince me to buy UFC 250. Because right now... Based on the main card for the pay-per-view, I'm not sure it's worth dropping 65. I bought the last one. The last one was like WrestleMania quality, but this one, yeah. Mm, uh, I, I might know. be able to. Uh, I might be able to with 250. Um, that said, your prejudice against bantamweights is going to be a tough hurdle to overcome. Because that, <laughs> uh, look, the, uh, we'll get to 250 in a second, but I might be able to do that. Okay. Well, right. challenge laid at your the challenge <laughs> has been laid at your feet, sir. Unlike you, my ego is neither large enough nor fragile enough to respond to that. Blow me. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. Inside jokes. All right. Um, starting. Let's get into this because you mentioned you uh, Burns and Woodley last night. UFC on ESPN nine. The UFC was at their Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now that uh, the state of Nevada reopened for combat sports. Um, they were in the smaller cage, the 25-foot diameter instead of the 30-foot diameter, uh, which makes a difference. I, I kind of know why the UFC doesn't use it all the time. But at the same time, the 25-foot cage does actually encourage more action and finishes. This, this is uh, for everyone saying, but there were decisions last night. Yes, there were. But if you look at, and plenty of people have done the math, have done the statistical analysis on this, the smaller cage does lead to a greater uh, instance of finishes. Sure, so, there's less surface area for you to circle away from, and I would imagine. As Tyron Woodley found out, although the 30-foot cage wouldn't have helped him. <laughs> yeah, no, it would not have. Um, yeah, Gilbert Burns defeats Tyron Woodley via unanimous decision, 50-45, generous judge, and two 50-44s, which was my score. Um, I, I don't have a whole lot to go into technically on this. Uh, and there's a very specific reason for that. Mark, you were watching, you know, years ago when Rory McDonald beat Tyron Woodley. Mm -hmm. That same strategy has never stopped working on Tyron Woodley. <laughs> However, pressure. it's not just constant pressure. It's because Woodley will put himself on the fence apropos of almost nothing. It's pressure, and it's just be mindful of the right hand, so mind your angles, and pick at him, and you will outwork him. And Burns hits very hard. He chopped him. He, Burns tore him up with some, with some nasty calf kicks. He hurt him a couple of times with punches. But the same strategy that Burns used here, that Stephen Thompson used intermittently, in fact, I'm, I, I still am baffled that what that Stephen Thompson didn't beat Tyron Woodley because he should have, but he just fumbled the ball twice. I think it's hard to get Tyrone Woodley 
to it's Tyrone Woodley seems to have two modes like hard hitting, winging that right hand just straightforward or timid to the point of near mannequin. I think the one that I think the analogy I saw on Twitter that I liked was I'm sick of watching Tyron Woodley look like someone unplugged his controller. <laughs> and I think Accurate. that's not inaccurate. <laughs> yeah, I remember Tyrone Woodley back in the Strike Force days too. And it was either he knocked you out, you know, with a big punch, or he laid on you and then seemed to have gone to sleep. But in such a way, you know, he was kind of like a boa constrictor where he just sort of grabbed a hold of you and didn't let go. And you were like, well, I'm stuck now and I don't know what to do and he won't get off me. Yeah, and he got into the UFC and it was it's a lot of the same. He has a strategy that he was able to make work for him. And I think he benefited a lot from I wouldn't say favorable matchmaking in the sense that he was being catered to. But a lot of the guys he fought gave him stylistic openings in that if you want to if you want to be vulnerable to what Tyron Woodley brings to the table offensively, be a southpaw because it gives his right hand a straight punching lane and don't be as defensively good from that stance. So (laughs) Stephen Thompson at times when he'd go southpaw, his defense is not as good from that side. His offense is also different, but uh, Damian Maya. Southpaw, shaky striking defense. And he, and I mean, again, Woodley, you know, that Damian Maya fight is what it is. Darren Till, Southpaw, little shaky on the striking defense side of things. So he had a run. I mean, even his title win, Robbie Lawler, Southpaw, and especially early Lawler's defense, not the greatest. So he, he was able to utilize his style to capitalize on the opponents that were put in front of him. And I don't blit to be clear. Good on you, man. That's what you're supposed to do. I'm not trying to bury Tyron Woodley, but he fought, you know, in Kamaru Usman, a wrestler, uh, in terms of MMA wrestling at a, at a bare minimum comparable, I would argue superior who pressured him from the orthodox stance, clinched him, took him down, worked his body. Here he fights a, you know, a jiu-jit- multiple-time jiu-jitsu world champion with heavy hands, heavy kicks from the orthodox stance who pressures him and who outworks him, and he drops another decision. Uh, again, they're just kind of doing what Roy McDonald did with a few v- tweaks to their individual skill sets, and it's still working. Uh, this this was... Uh, I don't know if Tyron Woodley's going to retire after this, but there's a few <laughs> things to... Is he making noise about retiring? I don't think so. He, I think what he did, he did like an Instagram live thing after he got that giant cut in his head stitched up. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, I've got a weird kind of piece for a man who, forgive my language, I'm going to quote him, just got his ass kicked. <laughs> so I, I don't know, but there's a few things about Woodley that you have to consider if when we talk about what's next for him. One, he's 38. Uh, he was when he won the title. When it's, again, when he beats Robbie Lawler, what three years ago, give or take, he became the oldest welterweight champion in UFC history. Now he's lost it. Then he lost. It, he was the oldest one to lose it. So he's he's up there. You know, thirty eight is 
up there for, especially for the lower weight classes. Aging in combat sports, when you get to like heavyweight and light heavyweight, is a little different because of the players involved. Some of the factors are different, but welterweight rewards uh, speed, muscular reaction, and Woodley doesn't quite seem to have that. This is also not. This is the first losing streak of Tyron Woodley's entire career, which is impressive. But you also have to consider that he is now of the in his last two fights, he has lost all ten rounds that he has competed in, and dropped at least two rounds across that that were universal, or near universal ten eights. Uh, some of this is level of opposition. Again, Kamaru Usman is the best welterweight in the world, I think. And Gilbert Burns is clearly very, very talented. But he that's was definitely tr- persistent. My goodness. But that's a troubling trend. <laughs> <laughs> so, if, I had to, if I had to bet money, um, I think he walks away from the UFC because he's not able to, you know, at this stage of the game. And, and, I, and I'm just spitballing here, you know. Uh, but <clears throat> he might be doing the mental math as you're somewhat illustrating and thinking, you know what? At this level, I, I'm just going to embarrass myself. So let me go to a place where I might get some favorable matchups. I'll make some easy money and I can start thinking about the next chapter, the next big chapter of my life. So t- to that end, I think he's got two choices uh, for a guy with his name and his ability. He can go to Bellator, or he can go to Bare Knuckle. Um, and uh, Bare Knuckle no, no. is always willing to shovel money at you know ex UFC guys to Bare just to get a name on their card. S- Bare Knuckle is willing to say they'll shovel money at people. <laughs> haven't they I been sued? All- have- hang on, haven't they been sued twice already for non-payment? Oh, have they? Oh, that I don't know. I just know like. Hector Lombard showed up there. Dave Rickles is either showing up or has showed up there. Bigfoot's been there. Gabriel Gonzaga. Um, you know, I mean, it's Bare Knuckles kind of becoming like the place where MMA fighters go to die. Uh, and I, you know, it's, it's for a lot of them, it's an easy night. It's a short night. You know, and if you just, and for a lot of them, they do the math on it and they're like, I don't have to worry about wrestling and jujitsu. I don't have to worry about kicks. I can just throw punches, and it's very crowd pleasing. I know you hate it, but for people who just want to, for people who just for the just bang bro crowd, of which I am a part, it's it's very crowd appealing. It's quick. I mean, the I've watched a few of these bare knuckle cards, um, and I'm, I mean, there's a lot of bare knuckle leagues out there. I'm talking about specifically bare knuckle fighting championships with the yellow and black lettering. Those nights go by really quick, and people seem to enjoy them. And they're they've got two cards coming up: one in Kansas and one somewhere else. Um, so a lot of a lot of guys come in, kind of take the money, take the easy money, and, and go. Uh, if he really wants to make another go of it for however long they're going to be around, uh, there's always Bellator. Bellator has been running shows. There's been a bunch on DAZN. Um, they're still on the quote unquote, the Paramount network. And up until the world, uh, took a momentary pause, they were running a couple of shows a month. So, and then they, and again, they keep pilfering ex UFC guys that either walked away because of Reebok or 
because of the situation like Tyrone Woodley's in where he's like, well, I've kind of hit, hit the ceiling in this company. Well, I tend to imagine he was hoping that his rap album would take off. I just drank tea. Please don't make me laugh. <laughs> oh, God. Sorry. I, my favorite tweet came out after someone, a Twitter exchange between two people who are essential. I consider them essential following for MMA on Twitter. You have Grabaka Hitman and the actual the official UFC stats person, uh, MJC Flip Descript. And Kaposa's tweet was, I believe, I'm outrageously drunk. Did Ty- <laughs> was Tyron... Did- did, was Tyron Woodley's performance as bad as I really think it was? And the UFC and the UFC stats guy's response was his music career is on firmer ground right now. <laughs> so I got to chuckle. Um, I don't know what's next for Burns. Uh, there was some the UFC was kind of putting out feelers for well maybe he could fight for the belt because we don't want to you know, we don't want to be leveraged by Colby Covington or Jorge Masvidal both of whom would make for really I mean I don't think you can do a Covington Usman rematch just yet but uh, I don't know what's going on at welterweight I really don't I mean <laughs> uh, for a while it seemed like Masvidal was pretty easily the fight to make if you couldn't get Masvidal and McGregor together yeah and, like, doesn't isn't Masvidal in line for a title shot like isn't he yeah, he's won his last couple of fights, no? Yeah, he has. And in, uh, I, I hate to say uh, I hate to say, you know, he suffered the most because of the pandemic because that's ridiculous. But Masvidal's career coming off that Diaz fight, he was he was riding high. Right. And the the lockdown and the pandemic and whatnot, that cooled his momentum considerably to the point where now there's kind of rumors that they're looking to just rebook Masvidal and Diaz. How many times are they going to do that? <laughs> you know what? Hang on. In all fairness, if I'm Jorge Masvidal, I'm going to take that fight, and I'm going to let them keep paying me a lot of money to do the same thing I've already done because it's still going to work. Look, uh, you, you're not going to get an argument out of me against a money weight fight. I'm all about the money weight division. I'm all about the UFC making circus fights. I'm not into repetition, though. So, like, I don't really want to see Conor McGregor Khabib again, either. Um, I want to see Justin Gaethje versus... Yeah, I know. I want to see Justin Gaethje versus Khabib. Or, you know, I'll take Khabib versus anyone but Conor McGregor. I, we've seen it. <laughs> and see, and, and while watching Khabib Nurmagomedov jump over the cage onto McGregor's people was glorious... And other than watching it in a hot tub made my night. But <laughs> <laughs> but still, I we've done this. I, I I don't like repetition. Like do something else. Make more interesting matchups. Um yeah, I'm all for I think I, since the UFC, like everybody else, took a financial hit uh due to the pandemic, you know, they're probably gonna make this year you can probably just kinda call a wash. For meaningful fights, and it's all going to be as many money weight fights as they can get people in the apex to agree to. Well, they're um, already. This got brought up recently because the UFC is trying to fill out their June and July cards. Mm-hmm. They're already like running out of people who are available because a lot of the travel restrictions are still in place. So I, that's what I'm saying. Like I, 
I don't think we get like meaningful like competitive title fights this year. I think we get a lot of da, 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 you know just to get to the end of the year and kind of well we'll <laughs> we'll start over again in January everybody. Um I'm surprised they're not throwing like retard money at Brock Lesnar. Um I mean who's to say they're not trying? True. But I, I mean, I think Brock's also. I mean, who do, who would Brock come back and fight? And, and I don't mean you. Like, I don't know what you want to see because I know what you want to see. I mean, if you're trying to pitch to Brock Lesnar, stop doing, stop taking the money from WWE, get back into a training camp, put yourself through all that, re-enter the USADA testing pool, and come back to MMA to engage in actual, genuine combat for a paycheck. Derek Lewis. You think that's not going to get Brock up? That might not get Brock up, but that's, that's why I. That's why I said, who are you okay. going to pitch to Brock? Well, no, I here. Okay, so you're asking me pitch Brock to get into the cage, right? I know, I know, I know. You specifically said, who do you pitch him? That's not how you pitch Brock. You don't pitch the guy necessarily. You pitch the idea. So the idea is, hey, Brock. What if we gave you a favorable matchup against a guy who can also sell a fight, who's in kind of a fun, interesting personality? He and he's gonna be like who? He's like the hot balls guy. Oh, him. He's funny. Okay, yeah, I can beat him. Great. Here's lots of money. Go beat him up, and we can throw that on the marquee. And people would pay to see Brock Lesnar beat up hot balls. I'm not saying it wouldn't draw because Brock's not the draw he used to be, but he is still a draw. Yes. Because you're not going to put him in there with Cormier. He's not. T- and one, he loses that fight. Two, he doesn't take it. He probably. He, no, on the contrary, I think he would take the Cormier fight. I agree with you that he'd lose it. Yeah, so he's not taking it. Um, Brock's not taking anything he's going to. He, he knows going in, he has at least a 51% chance of losing. So he's not taking the Cormier fight. He's probably not taking the Lewis fight then. <sighs> he can take Lewis. Lewis has like what no takedown defense and all Brock and you know and if Brock <laughs> and if Brock gets over this you know I can hit people thing that he got into his head and just wrestles Derek Lewis it's the worst fight ever but he wins. I don't need that to be on my year end for worst my year end column for worst fights of the year. Thank you. <laughs> well, what are we talking about here? Good fights or fights that draw and you know make money? Because I'm yeah. I'm talking about the second part. Ideally, you find the crossover. So. Uh, anyway, that that's the main event. So yeah, Burns and Woodley. I again, if they go with Burns versus Usman for the title, in fairness, I don't hate it. Uh, Burns just beat the guy who was officially the number one contender. I have you you've heard me yell about the rankings before, right? Yeah, they're garbage. I'm not going to relitigate that. <laughs> okay. I will say here's all I'm going to say about that. Tyron Woodley. Coming off of A, a lopsided loss to the now champion, and B, over a year off, is not the number one contender. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. But he was officially ranked that. Burns beat him, so I don't know if Burns takes over the number one spot, but he's definitely going to bump up. So, again, with Usman's next fight, I mean, you have three... You have three clearly deserving contenders, right? 
Only one of whom you actually know about. Because <laughs> you know about Jorge Masvidal. Uh-huh. You know for the moment about Gilbert Burns. Yes, I was, I then, was awake during that fight. And then there's Leon Edwards. Okay. Who I'm sure you don't know exists. <laughs> I'm sure I've seen him fight somewhere. Sure, yeah, he's, on, I, he's on like a seven-fight winning streak. <laughs> so, And sadly, the thing he's most known for is a backstage altercation with Mosfidal, after which Mosfidal said, yeah, I had to give him the three-piece with the soda. Okay, so I feel like Dana White is, if not one of my patron saints, then at least one of my spirit animals. I, I feel you so much for that. <laughs> I feel, that's why you bring me on. I feel Dana White. I know how he thinks. I, I, I can't see how you don't make Masvidal Usman next. I think the, I think the major consideration there is the money, is money from, I think Usman, actually. The way, the way the story's been circulating. Um, Usman to fight Masvidal wants more, wants to wants you know essentially I don't know if it would be a permanent bump or at least a one fight bump for that fight. I think this is where the UFC tells him eat shit and die, either fight Masvidal or we'll or or we'll just send you home and we'll we'll put we'll throw the title up in the air as they do with every other title they've had, and it can be Masvidal versus whoever the fuck he picks, Gilbert Burns, yeah. Yeah, Gilbert not Godfrey. Gonna, they're not going to do that. I, you know, look, look <laughs> if Usman makes unreasonable financial demands about fighting Masvidal, the UFC will badmouth him publicly for other things and then book him in a less com- and then book him in a fight that draws a lot less money. And then behind the scenes go, hey, guess what you could have been doing right now? Right. Because that kind of passive aggressive gaslighting is much more their style. Yeah. I look and, and, and Kamaru Usman is not John Jones. No one knows what a Kamaru Usman is. It sounds like something you should be raising money for. Look, uh, wow. <laughs> um, Usman I, got, look, Usman got a serious bump from the Covington fight. I totally stole that line from the loudest voice, by the way. Fair enough. <laughs> the point is, outside of MMA circles, people who follow the sport, either directly or um, casually... You, you have of, to be above cat. You have to be more invested than purely casual, I think, to really kind of be aware of Usman. That's that, my point. Like, then you have no bargaining power. Yeah. He, again, he he doesn't apart from him being the champion. Right. Like that. That's kind of all he's got, and I don't blame him trying to get more money out of it at all. No, but I don't. But I think he has. Is he going to be successful? Eh, no, and probably I think not. Has, and he has to then come to his senses. And so I think the the UFC has to be you know has to go back to him and be like like no everyone's on everyone's team UFC or just go home and we'll figure something else out. And I think most of these guys will come to their senses when they realize how little bargaining power they actually have. I, again, I imagine what we wind up getting is the rematch between Masvidal and Diaz. Usman will fight either Edwards or Burns, mm-hmm. and then they might. I mean. Almost sounds like you have a little, like a little mini tournament there. You could maybe. I mean, Usman made a little bit of noise earlier this week about, hey, sure, you know, I signed to fight. Where's Connor? Like, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Connor's like, yeah, I'll fight Anderson Silva at a catch weight of 173.65 pounds. Like, no. <laughs> Why don't we just do away with the belts? <laughs> Nobody can have no, no more belts. 
Or we'll just start making new ones, like the WWE. Like, eh, you know, we'll have an intercontinental belt. You know, we'll have a world, we'll have a world, cha- a world universal galactic championship belt. We'll have a twenty four seven belt. You know, because like so you're, you're advocating the UFC turning. Yeah, look, I don't, <laughs> I don't disagree, but in some respects, and I mean, the UFC has admitted under oath that their belts don't actually mean what they say they mean. So yeah, moving anyway, on. Anyway, that was your main event. As for the rest of this card. Um, this was an odd event for me to watch. I don't know about you, Mark. There were some really good fights. I want to be clear about that. This next one's not one of them. Well, hang on. I I think we're just going to do quick hits for the rest of this card. Okay. (laughs) I'm just saying, there were some really good fights. But, man, the event dragged. I don't know what it was, because this this event wasn't outside the norm. It was, again, about the six-hour mark from start to finish. But, man, those these last, like three fights and again burns and woodley's not a bad fight i want to say i think it was depending on the fight because some of them some of them seem like they should have ended earlier like just a couple of examples and i know like we're gonna go over these but like uh billy quarantino versus spike carlisle should not have gone all three rounds i don't know how it did but that it felt like it went on forever because it should have ended earlier Augusto Sakai versus uh, Blagoy Ivanov Oof. went on for 106 days. Well, yeah, it's a I, heavyweight fight. Ugh, Some that was, say they're still fighting. Yeah. I That was not good. Um, and then the other one, and it, not, not that it was a bad fight, but like Caitlin Shukagian. Shukagian. Shukagian, sorry. Kate, I'm really not doing that on purpose. Caitlin Shukagian uh, versus uh, Shevchenko's sister should have ended in the first round, and given the scores she caught, someone should have just thrown in the town and be like, go to, go to um, whatever the uh, sub-chick pro, uh, promotion is. Oh, gosh, what's the name of it? I want to keep saying Invicta. Shimmer that wrestling. Yeah, go to Invicta. You, go to you, Bare Knuckle. Go somewhere. Hang on. Can I just say very briefly, I hate how much I can read your mind. <laughs> I listen to you on other podcasts, and before you... You have this beat where you're like, but before you say, oh, crap, what am I thinking of? You have this beat. And I'm listening to you on another show, and you hit that beat, and I immediately go, X. <laughs> and then you go, oh, crap, what am I thinking of? And then you and whoever, you like, I, the one you did with Alexis about the three caballeros. And I couldn't remember the word exposition. Yeah. Like you said, she's there for, um, and I just immediately actually think I said it aloud, exposition. <laughs> like, I, I can read your mind, and it's disturbing to me. It, well, we have been doing this long enough. Um, in any case, my point is, a lot of these fights should have ended in like the first, maybe the second round, but they went on interminably. For what reason, I don't know. But that's what, to me, made it feel longer. Because there were some, there were some great fights on here that even if they went all three rounds, were still like like fast paced and you know could have gone either way and were fun to watch. Not maybe not either way, but were at least competitive. Yeah, Unlike Shafugi and Shevchenko. Yeah, so as for the rest of this card, Augusto Sakai defeats Blagoy Ivanov via split decision. There was one 30-27 for Ivanov that... uh, That was his mom. Yeah. like I think you could score the fight for Ivanov. You couldn't give him the... I think it was the third round. I just... No. I think I gave him the first. And how they did not point Sakai for grabbing the fence. That was a... At that point, why are you even bothering? You're just like, hit him with a chair or something. Yeah, that was a real bad fence grab. And not just a bad fence grab, but one that 
deliberately, like, if he doesn't grab the fence, he gets taken down. There's sometimes when somebody grabs the fence and because of the positioning, it's kind of like, okay, what does it actually affect? In which case, I, I, that's when you give a warning if you're the ref. When you grab the fence and it actually stops something from happening that you don't want to happen, that's when you should take a, I mean, Daniel Cormier just about lost his mind on commentary. <laughs> yeah, Ted Cormier looked like he was about to storm the cage. And I'd have let him. Uh, yeah, it was. He could have beaten those two at the same time. Yeah, he could have. <laughs> um, so, anyway, Sakai... Gets the split decision win. Should have been a draw with that point deduction. That should have happened. Uh, bad call by the ref. I believe that was Herzog, actually. So, but Sakai still undefeated in the UFC. Uh, should be moving up the ranks, but it's heavyweight, so no one cares. <laughs> At a prearranged catchweight of 150 pounds, Billy Quarantilo defeated Spike Carlisle via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the boards. This fight was awesome for about a round and a half. Yeah. And to be clear, for the second half of the fight, it's not like it starts sucking wind. But it's a lot of the same stuff. Yep. With about half the energy. And to, these guys fought at a torrid pace. Um, they, they threw everything but the kitchen sink at each other. But uh, credit to, Spark, to Spike Carlisle's defense. Um, Quarantilo is a pretty solid jiu-jitsu practitioner. For him to constantly escape having his back taken like that, uh, you get kudos, man. But, uh, again, it was fun, but it just was a lot of the same as the fight wore on. Uh, not Again, not a bad fight, but it's a couple of guys who were both in their second UFC fight, so, you know, plenty of stuff for both of them, them to work on. But two guys who I think are, you know, fine members to the roster. Um, Roosevelt Roberts defeated Brock Weaver via rear naked choke in the second round. Um, Weaver missed weight. He weighed officially 157 and a half. Roberts was just better everywhere. I mean, Roberts, he's got one loss, I think, in the UFC to Vince Pichel, which was just a little bit too much too soon. Uh, Roberts is a pretty legitimate prospect for the division. I He's still young. This was only, I think, his 10th or 11th fight, but he's someone to pay attention to. I think this was your first time seeing Roberts, right? Yeah, for sure. Because you would have remembered him otherwise. He is up your alley stylistically. Yeah, for a lot of these people, like, they, they did not ring a bell. I don't again. I don't blame you. I've seen most of them fight before, and I was like, "Oh wait, yeah, oh yeah, I remember that." Like I had to jog my memory. I was into this next one, man. Mackenzie Dern Zahadi. Um, I mean, how did I know you were gonna? <laughs> <laughs> a nice little body on her. She, uh, she you, you, know, uh, you, you stalk her Instagram. I was last night. They showed a picture of her. And, like, I think I, I saw her walk out, and I was like. Who is Mackenzie Derns and why am I in love? And at which point I immediately Google image search her like a pervert stalker. And I'm like, wow, she is pretty when she's made up. Like, you know, a lot of them, they obviously you're not going to wear makeup in, in a fight. So, like, the, you know, like their natural look with their hair back and everything. It's like, hmm. But, like, when, like, like some of her um, made up shots with her hair all done up and she's got makeup on. Holy shit, she is astounding to look at. And then there was Hannah Cyphers, and none of this matters because <laughs> Mackenzie Dern uh, hit her with the knee bar at two minutes and thirty seconds, thirty-six seconds. Yeah, Dern had a 
Dern is a two-time jujitsu world champion. Uh, she's a very decorated jujitsu practitioner. Her wrestling is terrible. <laughs> it's it's just not good. Uh, Cyphers gave her the business early. She was landing good punches. They got into the clinch, and Cyphers immediately was framing and throwing strikes, knees, punches, elbows. Like you're not going to clinch up with me for nothing. Uh, but eventually, Dern does get close. Uh, goes for a kind of a throw, winds up, uh, you know, on bottom, basically kind of pulling half guard. She inverts, grabs the knee, rotates to be on top. Uh, you know, again, Dern's jujitsu is superb. It just is. Um, this was the first leg related submission in UFC women's history. So, yay. Jesus Christ. As long as that, that it's gotta be what? Eight years. Ten is 10 years that they've had a women's division. When did Ronda Rousey show up? Cause she, you know, she was the impetus for their in, uh, for their inclusion of women. Uh, I don't know when Ronda showed up. Hang on. Let me look it up. Cause that's how, I mean, this is a long time to go with, you know, and that's the first leg submission. Uh, 2013. So that's, seven years. That's close. That's pretty incredible. That's, that's quite an accomplishment. First of all, None of the other girls could get a could get a leg lock. No, nobody else could do a leg submission. Really? Most look leg locks of various varieties in MMA are kind of a rarity to begin with. People don't like committing both of their hands to an attack. And also, this is an ugly reality, but I'm going to say it because I think it's true. Most people attempting leg locks in MMA aren't good at them. I will throw this third thing out there. I, if, I think statistically, and I'm not looking at hard data to back this up, but so if somebody wants to at me on Twitter with, you know, the numbers and, and whatnot, that's fine. But I would say the vast majority of women's fights do not end in finishes to begin with. Um, yeah, I don't know. I know who to ask for that for that information if you're curious. I, I would I, bet. I would bet money. I'm right. Uh, I. There's a few people that skew that data, but you you might be right. Uh, so anyway, again, good win for Dern. Um, I don't know where either where she goes. It strawweight is actually a good division, so <laughs> she still got a she still got some kind of mountains to climb as far as getting in well, getting up towards the title goes. Well, she's pretty, and if she wins fights, she'll she'll get some real good ones going forward. They tried already. Then she lost a couple of key fights. She missed weight a few times, and then got pregnant. Um, well, maybe this will be a you know a second second shot. This will be a hey, this is a redemption tour. Could be. Uh, all right. As for the prelims, Caitlin Chukagian defeated Antonina Shevchenko via unanimous decision, thirty twenty five across the board. I was thirty twenty five. Um, on the one hand, I'm gonna I'm gonna say two things. Um, on the one hand, best performance of Caitlin Chukagian's UFC career. It was the clearest victory she's ever had under the UFC banner. Uh, she actually mixed together her skills very well. She wasn't just uh, shadow boxing, hitting the invisible person six inches in front of her actual opponent, <laughs> which she does a lot. Uh, so I, I want to first preface really good, right? Best performance of her career. It is therefore also somewhat incumbent upon me to say you had some combination of full mount or back mount for literally 10 minutes of a 15-minute <laughs> fight and couldn't get a finish. Yeah. 
I'm I'm less blaming Shevchenko for that than I am Chikagian. I like way to not stick the landing. And uh, I mean, look, Caitlin was she needed a good performance coming off of her title shot because Valentina Shevchenko ran over her like a steamroller. <laughs> that was not a competitive fight. Uh, Shevchenko just... To the shock of no one, Valentina Shevchenko better than everyone in that division by a mile. Uh, flyweight's not a good division for, on the women's side. Um, Daniel Rodriguez defeated Gabriel Green via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the board. Not a bad little brawl. Nothing terribly memorable. Uh, Jamal Hill actually had a really good performance, defeated Clidson Abreu via TKO. This was a knee to the body and punches 151 of the first. Um, Hill, still a little raw, but some very obvious skills. This was his second UFC fight, I believe also his second finish. Um, That was a wicked knee he hit, so good on him. Light heavyweight is in dire need of an injection of talent. Uh, so hopefully he can be part of that. Um, Brandon Royville defeated Tim Elliott via arm triangle choke, 318 of the second round. Fun fight to the shock of no one. Flyweights. Entertaining fight. A uh, lot of fun, a lot of scrambles, a lot of wrestling. Elliott just couldn't keep his pace. Royville can catch the arm triangle in the second. Uh, good r- win for Royville. He was, uh, I think he was the underdog here. And a not insubstantial one. So good on him. Uh, Hopefully the flyweight division sticks around. I mean, they're trying to run back Figueredo and Benavidez for the belt. But if something crazy happens to that fight again. I mean, I thought they were retiring flyweight as a division. They were trying to. For some reason, they decided not to. I still don't know why. So they... They they uh, stripped slash Henry Cejudo vacated flyweight, right? Right. Because, yeah, sure, I'll save a division and then instantly abandon it. You saved nothing. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, him beating TJ Dillashaw did save it because if Dillashaw wins, they just dissolve it. Well, I, 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 I am sure I would, of that. I would think that for the UFC to have a operable flyweight division that's in any way meaningful, you have to have a large injection of foreign talent, East Asian, um, far, far East Asian talent. Like you you'd almost need to either buy one in and of itself or buy a lesser promotion, um, you know, that well, has a large flyweight stable. The, Cause the that's prob- where half of them come from them in Mexico. Well, the real issue that the UFC ran into was they, released a giant chunk of the flyweight division they were sitting again there was like noise made about no no we're renovating like no you're bulldozing yeah i was gonna say there's only one reason to release them and that is to get rid of the division then well then they kind of changed their mind i don't know why um so they booked for the vacant flight joseph benavidez versus davison figueredo (laughs) oh god in the funniest set of circumstances figueredo misses weight and then knocks out Joseph Benavidez cold. <laughs> At that point, honestly, when that happened, I went, "That's it." <laughs> like they, they gave it a shot. They, you know, they, they tried to move on. And this is like when you know BJ Penn and Kaoluno fought to a draw. 
at lightweight. And the UFC said, screw it, no more lightweights for five years. <laughs> I, I thought they were going to do that. They rebooked it. If something crazy, again, if something crazy happens in that fight a second time, I think they're done. Um, so, anyway. Uh, also in this event, uh, Casey Kenny defeated Louis Smolka via guillotine choke, 303 of the first. Nice stuff from Kenny. Uh, he got a really nice right hook at, uh, when they were changing in the pocket. Smolka shot a desperation takedown, left his neck out. Uh, good stuff from Kenny. And Chris Gutierrez defeated Vince Morales via TKO leg kicks, 427 of the second. This hurt me to watch. <laughs> and I, I mean that because those kicks, oh my. Ow. <laughs> Uh, those calf kicks were net. I mean, you saw some of the pictures of his calf afterwards, right? Yeah, they they had mentioned a couple of times throughout the fight as he was getting kicked in the leg that it was like blowing up as the fight progressed. Yeah, his left calf in particular, um, right about the time this thing got stopped, uh, it's visibly like physically distorted. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Good. Chris Gutierrez is a really good kicker, and you have to have a response to that. Whether that's checking them appropriately, whether that's kicking back to dissuade him, whether you, you, you need some kind of response. There is a physiological consequence to getting kicked in the leg like that. And Morales didn't have one and wound up not being able to stand. <laughs> and if you can't stand, you can't fight. So, all right, uh... Anything that you wanted to mention that you didn't already for the rest of those? No, I'm good. Okay. That was, again, UFC on ESPN 9. I know that wasn't a terribly high, wasn't a hot, real high traffic event, but thank you everyone who did happen to read and follow along. Thank you to the very small number of you that commented. I, uh, I, under other circumstances, I might be annoyed. Like, I occasionally get a little bit aggravated about um, you know, my workload and, and I, and, you know, I'm slightly down on everything I do anyway, but given what else was going on right around the same time as this event, um, yeah, you know, I, I don't blame anybody like you guys, you know, you've got other considerations. So thank you to those who did read again, live or after the fact, I do just want to say, I do appreciate you guys a lot. So thank you. Uh, I, I just I appreciate you guys a lot. So, all right. Uh, let's see. This coming week, on June sixth, there will be UFC two fifty. UFC is back on pay per view, and well, this is a really solid card. Believe it or not, you might be looking at me going. You might be hearing me going. Wait, really? Okay. The main event is. Uh, we all know what we're getting here, right? We all know what we're being sold. So let me ask you a question. Hang on, hang on. It's a, for those of you who don't know. It's Amanda Nunes defending her featherweight title against Felicia Spencer. We are, this is like Mike Tyson in the 90s. We're not paying to see a fight. We're paying to see a sacrifice. Well, I guess that was my question. Felicia Spencer. Now, the quick Wikipedia search I did on her is she's the former Invicta featherweight champion. But is she, in fact, a pig hostage? Mark, everyone at Bantamweight and Featherweight. <laughs> I, I'm putting the cage with Amanda Nunez. 
Yes. But see, that's why I don't want to watch this. Like, I love seeing Amanda Nunez wreck people, but there's... And here's what I'll tell you. We're going to go over this. I actually recognize a lot of people on this card. Rafael Asensio, Cardi Garbrandt, Aljamain Sterling, Sanhagen, Magny, um, Anthony Rocco Martin, Eddie Wineland. I can't believe he's still fighting. Did, did, did the hematoma on his head ever heal? Uh, Bruce Leroy, I, Meerkat. I, hang on. I think you're confusing Eddie Wineland with somebody else. But well, No, wasn't Eddie Wineland the one that, uh, that fought in the Toronto card where he had a hematoma the size of Neptune on his no. head? Who am I thinking of? Mark Hominick. That's the one. And no, he doesn't fight anymore. Um, he shouldn't. But okay, then Eddie Wyland's the one with the horrible tattoos. Um, yes. <laughs> it's one of those two. Uh, yeah, Bruce Leroy's on here. Heinish, Meerkat. Um, I, I actually know who Hustier Formiga is. So, like, there's, like, names on this. But I'm... But is it... Is $65 worth it to see Emmanuel Nunez wreck a bitch? And then people I mostly know from previous fights, but don't really care about one way or the other. Well, if you don't care about them, I'm not sure how much I can help you. But okay, again, let, let's uh, uh, part of look. The only draw that Amanda Nunes has right now is watch this woman physically destroy another human being. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> which I is don't... weird because that was the draw for Cyborg. Right, it was it was like I would pay sixty five dollars to watch Cyborg wreck a you bitch. Paid, you paid sixty five dollars to watch Amanda Nunes wreck Cyborg. I well, sure, but I'm saying like when Cyborg was in there with pig hostages, I would pay the money to watch Cyborg, and it's like I, I even when those were like seconds long, I, I felt it was worth it. But for whatever reason, on this one, I'm like, because here's the thing, Cyborg. She would run across the cage and belt somebody upside the head. They'd turn and run away, and the fight would be over. Amanda Nunez wrecks people, no doubt. And I'm not putting this woman down. She's the best woman fighter on the planet. Ever. How, ever. However, does she wreck people quite the way Cyborg used to in her heyday? Not really. Some of her fights are, in my opinion, and, and maybe i got to go back and look through them again, not as crowd-pleasing. In fairness to that point, Amanda's fighting a significantly better level of opposition. Fair enough. Um, I, I imagine Nunes is going to run over Spencer. I mean, Spencer has a decent enough kicking game. She's got good submissions, but I mean, I really struggle seeing how she offers anything to Amanda. I mean... Amanda has beaten everyone. She has beaten every 135 and 145 pound champion that the UFC has ever had. And she's the only person in the UFC to have beaten Valentina Shevchenko twice. I disagree with the scoring on the second one, nevertheless. Uh, Again, Nunes is kind of a wrecking ball, and... Spencer is not really part of the reason Nunes and like Jermaine Durandamy went the way it did was Durandamy has a legitimate skill set. And Nunes worked to kind of mitigate that. And then I think there was a minor injury. She like tweaked her knee or something. So there was, again, there was things there. 
I don't think Spencer is nearly as dangerous anywhere as any of Nunez's last like three or four opponents. I mean, yeah, look, Nunez's last, let's go five, right? She beats Valentina Shevchenko via split decision, abuses Raquel Pennington for five rounds. That fight should have been stopped much earlier than it was. Yeah, Raquel Pennington looked like she'd gone through the windshield and hit a tree, if I remember correctly. She knocks out Cyborg in 51 seconds. Yeah, she did. And then head kicks Holly home in the first round. (laughs) Then beats Jermaine Durandamy for five rounds via wide unanimous decision. I I don't see Spencer (laughs) having much of a threat here. Um, Okay, moving on. Your co-main event, Rafael Asensau and Cody Garbrandt. Um, This is... I would not have put this in the co-main event. I would have put Sterling and Sandhagen there. But the UFC likes Garbrandt for some reason. Um, you have uh, this is a re- this is a potentially really awkward fight. You have Austin Sal, who is 37, on a two-fight losing streak, but still an incredibly difficult guy to fight. You have Garbrandt, former champion. Uh, on a three-fight losing streak where he's been knocked out in all three of them. <laughs> so far, you're not winning me over. Well, uh, my interest in this fight, Garbrandt's done a little bit of work uh, outside of Team Alpha Male for the first time in a while for this camp. Um, I forget where he was. Uh, Oh, Mark Henry. Right, that was it. He's done some work with Mark Henry. Uh, And if Mark Henry can kind of appropriately curb the worst instincts that Garbrandt has, I mean, Garbrandt's win over Dominic Cruz is still one of the most phenomenal fight performances I've ever seen. It is a truly, truly special performance. And the fact that he then followed that up with... Uh, I mean, that first round against TJ Dillashaw in their first fight is not competitive. Dillashaw, not Dillashaw, Garbrandt is wrecking him, basically. (laughs) Then he just kind of gets caught with a head kick in the second and then gets in his own head about really wanting to get that back instead of staying within himself and fighting smart. They rematch, and most of the technical wheels have come off of the train at that point. He fights Pedro Munoz and does nothing but pocket brawling, where... In fairness, he's pretty good. Like, he hits Munoz clean a bunch of times, but Munoz's chin just holds up. So this this is, to me, a very interesting fight. I'm going to lean towards Garbrandt, but... Uh, again, I if this one's not selling you, I don't blame you. You have to kind of be me, you know, someone <laughs> like me, to really look at that and go, okay, I am interested in this fight. Uh, The next one, on the other hand, I feel should sell itself. Because Aljamain Sterling and Corey Sandhagen is a heck of a fight. Okay. Either of these two could slash should be fighting for the title. Aljamain Sterling is on a four-fight winning streak. He is six and one in his last seven. His only loss being to Marlon Moraes. 
where he got knocked out. Beautiful knee by Marais in that fight. His only other losses ever are split decisions. One to Brian Caraway that he probably should have won. And the one to Austin Stout that I did think he lost. Uh, he is a very awkward striker, and I mean that in the best way possible. He's a, he's a very dangerous grappler. He's good about finding stuff. He's good about top position. He has a good front headlock series. And the winner of this will be fighting for the belt next. I feel pretty confident in that, whoever winds up winning the belt. Sandhagen is 12-1. and 5-0 and in the UFC. Uh, his last two wins were... Whoever scored the fight with John Lineker for Lineker should be shot. <laughs> like, just, no, you moron. But his last two wins, John Lineker, who... That fight was not a split decision. It was not that close. And then he clearly beats Rafael Asensio, which is not easy to do. He's a very high-paced fighter. He's got a good jab. He hooks well off of it. He does a lot of body work. His grappling game is a lot of scrambles, a lot of what's the best way to describe it is like jujitsu speed chess. Nothing he's really throwing up is technically perfect, but if you defend it, he's going to move on to the next move and then to the next move and then to the next move. And if you're not prepared to operate at that pace, even if you know what to do in a situation, if you're a step behind or two steps, you're done. So I am very much looking forward to this fight. This is, I think, probably the best fight on the card, if I'm being honest. I wish it had five rounds. I really, really do. Um, as for who no. I think... good. No, no, <clears throat> I thought we were moving on to the next thing, because I have a, a line when, on the next fight. Okay, I, the only last thing I was going to say there is for who I think is going to win. I'm actually leaning towards Sandhagen, but I won't be surprised if Sterling wins. Okay, so this next one, Neil Magny versus Anthony Rocco Martin. Don't you hate Neil Magny? Like, wasn't he one of the banes of your existence? For a while. Okay. But then, then, he he went on like, I was like, then he went on like a crazy winning streak, didn't he? Yeah. Real long one. With some really good performances. And then he stopped <laughs> having good performances. Okay. I mean, look, he, again, he real, watching him really annoyed me for a while because... I'm sorry, you have like an 80 inch, you have like 80 inches of reach. Literally 80, actually. Oh, is he another one that doesn't know how to jab? For a while, he didn't. He does now. Like, that was my big gripe was, you have 80 inches of reach, and you're initiating the clinch every time. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> and again, he, he got better. He figured some stuff out. Winning streak, lost to Maya. Won three fights in a row. Got massacred by Lorenz Larkin. Scored a big win over Johnny Hendricks, then got blown out of the water by Rafael Dos Anjos. Beat Carlos Condit, knocked out a guy who shouldn't have been in the UFC to begin with, got smoked by Santiago Ponzinibbio. Uh, took 18 months off. Rebounded against Li Jing Leong uh, a little earlier this year, actually. Well, sorry, some of that time off was due to him, was due to a drug test issue that he had. And I think if you were going to do anything major, it would have happened already. Um, he's fighting, yeah, he's fighting uh, Anthony Martin. 
who sadly should be on a better run than he is. For those of you who don't know, Martin is, since returning to welterweight, Martin is four and one. The one being a majority decision loss to Damian Maya that should have been a draw. Uh, so he should be, he shouldn't have, so he should be undefeated technically at welterweight. Uh, he's coming off a win. I like Martin. I don't, you know, I think Magny's a little bit washed at this point. And I mean, in fairness to Magny, he is 32 and has, this is his 30th fight. Uh, the vast majority of which have been in the UFC. I'm I'm gonna pick Martin here, so that's where I land on this. So you had a thing you wanted, you had a gimmick a bit. Oh no, just just the don't you hate Neil Magny? Ah, uh, that eh. was the bit. Not I used to. Then I came around. Then I settled on Meh because so did his career. And then from straight straight from the meth tattoo land. Oh god! On the yeah, we have kicking off the main card. Former WEC bantamweight champion, Eddie Wineland, who is, in fairness, three and two in his last five fights, with those three wins being finishes. Taking on the, uh, you mentioned the land of meth tattoos, while the land of weed tattoos spawned Sean O'Malley. (laughs) Perfect. I'm not joking. The man's like a notorious weed advocate. Great. He uh, O'Malley, since I know you don't know this, undefeated, eleven and zero, three wins in the UFC. I was not a big believer in O'Malley. Then he, in no small part, because of his fight with Andre Sukumtat in two thousand eighteen, where um, he should have lost that fight, not because he didn't, not because he didn't deserve to win the rounds, but because Sukumtat is a moron. <laughs> O'Malley broke seriously injured or broke his foot or his ankle in the third round literally could not put weight on it and Sukumtat couldn't get a finish congratulations Andre you, you, you literally lost to a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest <laughs> um, he was then suspended for marijuana violations because yay you sada you can't hear my eyes roll out of the back of my skull. I, my microphone settings might have been changed. Um, but point being, I wasn't a big believer in his. He was really well. There was a lot of people that were high on him. No pun intended. And I just kind of went, I don't see it. Then he comes back from his suspension issues and stops Jose Alberto Quinones via TKO head kick and punches in two minutes. And the way that fight played out, that's when I went, okay, now I see it. Now I see kind of what he does. And if the UFC has really, really big aspirations for him, they like him, they think he's a potential star. Um, they, I imagine they'll be trying to shoehorn him into the title scene sooner rather than later. Like, they really like him. Um, I'm... I actually like O'Malley's chances here. He's a long guy for the division. And he has good power, and he has good diversity in his offense. And Eddie Wineland is very hittable. And while Wineland has some power in his punches, he keeps them low, doesn't move his head a whole lot. And I don't think the UFC would have made this fight if they didn't have 
a fair degree of confidence in O'Malley winning. Yeah, this seems like a a step up fight for Sean O'Malley, um, and Eddie Wineland is being served up for lunch. Yeah, that that's kind of what's going on there. So I, I like O'Malley's chances there, um, and I again I imagine they'll be. Th- he might wind up fighting the loser of Austin Sow and Garbrandt next, in all honesty. Which might be too much too soon, but he wants to fight for the belt either at the end of this year or first quarter of 21. So so here's the deal. Um, you actually kind of sold me on watching it. I can't because it ends at 1 o'clock in the morning and I have to be up at 5.30 for work. I don't, I don't blame you. There's just plenty of considerations there. <laughs> not worth staying up for. So I'll probably watch the prelim card uh, just because it's something to do. And gives you know, I, I but then once the prelim card is over and the main card starts, I'm probably going to head off to bed. So about that prelim card. Yeah. As for the prelims, there's a featherweight fight between Alex Caceres and Chase Hooper. Bruce battle- Leroy. Woo. This is a battle of the Afros. Uh, uh, for those you Mark, you would Chase Hooper is young, like twenty, but you will appreciate the fact that uh, his hairstyle is like Ben Askren's. Perfect. So no, no, no. So on Twitter, he jokingly refers to Ben Askren as his dad, <laughs> and when and he's got a really nice personality. Hooper does, and he um, so he, he does some the UFC like sponsors him to do some interview stuff for them and whatnot. He interviewed Jorge Masvidal. And he said, I have just one question for you, Jorge. How could you do that to my dad? And <laughs> Mas- Masvidal is not in on the gimmick. So he goes, who's your dad? And living the gimmick, keeping kayfabe alive, Chase Hooper goes, Ben Askren, and Masvidal does that. Lips open, you know, teeth visible. Ooh, sorry, man. Because <laughs> he thinks he's being serious. Nice. I mean, he does get it explained to him, and Masvidal plays along with it, you know, goes along with it but um yeah the first time hooper fought like ben Askin immediately came on and went son is that you <laughs> and hooper's response was yeah you left after i came back from that wrestling camp early and said i didn't like it <laughs> so again there's a lot of fun to be had i think with these two i actually do like hooper's chances here caceres is if i remember him correctly he was very inconsistent that's a nice way to put it. Uh, so I like Hooper's chances, but I expect that to just be a you know, somewhat engaging, fun fight. Um, Ian Heinish and Gerald Merchart is potentially interesting. Heinish has had some ups and downs. He's on a two-fight losing streak because he fights in an unsustainable way. Merchart is a solid, fairly well-rounded veteran who just derailed the hype train of Duran Wynn. Uh, I kind of like Mershart here, but I won't be shocked if Heinish pounds him out. Um, Cody Stamen against Brian Kelleher, another fairly relevant bantamweight fight. Um, is Stamen ranked, actually, now that I think about it? Let me bring up the rankings. If he's not, he's close to it. Yeah, he is. He's number 12. Uh, so, ranked number 12 in the world, well, in the UFC. Uh, Kelleher just came back. He fought very recently, actually, at featherweight and got a solid win. Uh, Stamen just coming off of a majority draw with Song Yadong. Um, 
His only loss in the UFC is to Sterling, who caught him with a Suluev stretch and, like, damaged his knee while doing it. Um, I like Kelleher. I like Stamen. Um, hard to figure this one, actually. I'm going to go with Kelleher, actually. I think... I think Stamen probably leaves his neck out on a guillotine, but that's just a hunch. Uh, Charles Bird will fight Maki Patolo. Bird, yeah, Bird has three fights in the UFC, only one win. He has losses to Darren Stewart and Edmund Shabazian. Um, not a lot of shame in either of those, but he needs a win here, and... I think he'll get it against Patolo. Patolo's fought in the UFC before, I want to say. Bringing up his... Yeah, yeah, he lost to Callum Potter. I vaguely recall that fight. I know I watched it. I just vaguely recall it, so... I'm gonna go with Bird there, but eh. And then on our early prelims... Um, at flyweight, because the UFC hates them, Alex Perez and Juicier Formiga. Um, Perez has only lost to Joseph Benavides. He's got a good UFC record. Jeez. Uh, and Formiga, again, longtime staple near the top of the division. Formiga's on a two-fight losing streak. Losses to Benavides and Brandon Moreno. The Benavidez loss killed his chances at becoming champion because he would have fought a rematch with Figueredo, and he's already beaten Figueredo. Like, he's the only guy that's ever done so, I think. Um, or at least the only one in the UFC. I kind of like Perez there, but I'm not sure on that. Um, and then at light heavyweight, because God hates me, <laughs> Alonzo Menafield and Devin Clark. Um... Clark is still kicking around in the UFC because he tends to do the win-loss, win-loss thing. In fact, that's pretty much all he's done in the UFC. <laughs> loses his debut, wins two fights, loses, wins, loses, wins, loses, wins. So he's going to... So logically, he's going to lose here. Uh, Alonzo Menafield, undefeated, 2-0 uh, and in the UFC. I actually, in all seriousness, do kind of like Menafield's chances here. And I don't think we've got the specific placement for this fight, but it is on this card. Evan Dunham, still uh, still fighting. Good old Evan Dunham. Yeah, my, my, we like to call him homeschool here in this house. My wife would be very excited about this. Dunham hasn't fought since September of 2018. <laughs> Great. Uh, he retired after being stopped by Francisco Trinaldo. He tried to return against Michael Johnson, but that fight got scrapped. Uh, now he's got this one against Herbert Burns, who is the younger brother, I believe, of Gilbert Burns. Uh, Burns had a pretty decent win in his UFC debut. Uh, I'm going to go with Burns. Because, seriously, that layoff for Dunham, and he was on the downhill slide before that. But that's our set of prelims. So, Mark, any other thoughts on those? Any fights that stand out to you? Any jokes you have? <laughs> no, I'm good to go. Thanks. Alrighty. Um, let's start with the sort. It's not breaking, but it's been developing all day news. <laughs> okay. Um, 
UFC light heavyweight champion John Jones has apparently had it up to here with the UFC. <laughs> he stands all he can stands. He can't stands no more. Um, the the chronology of events as I understand it. After one of the last events, John said, "You know, I'm uh, if uh, the crux of it was, you know." I'm looking at these heavyweights and I'm thinking maybe it's finally time to make a move. I watched Francis fight and I wasn't all that impressed. I think I know how I'd beat him. How about it? That was essentially putting a feeler out there. If I go up to heavyweight, here's a guy, high profile, uh, name value, who I think I can beat, who I benefit from beating, who would benefit from beating me if he does, mind you. Is there an appetite for this? Francis Ngannou responded and basically said, yes. Yeah, I, sure, I will fight you. Come on up to heavyweight and we'll go. The UFC and John apparently could not come to terms on uh, money for this. John feels that a move up for a, a move up in weight for a very marketable super fight. I'm not sure it's a super fight, but it's definitely a big fight with Francis is worth more than his currently contracted amount of money. I think objectively John is correct there, but we'll move on from that in a second. The UFC was not willing to negotiate with him. And he said, okay, fine. I guess Jan Blachowicz is next. Then uh, your loss. Where things get dicey comes from, to the shock of no one, Dana White putting his foot in his mouth. <laughs> And I bring this up, well, there was an appetite for Jones versus Ngannou when those two started going back and forth a little bit on Twitter, right? Nothing nothing nasty, but they were... They were Jockling chirping each other. Yeah. The, the, the fan base, the media, and I think just kind of the fan base in general said, oh yeah, we, we want this. We like this idea. We are down for this. So when it falls apart, Dana gets asked about it. Dana's response is, John asked for an exorbitant amount of money. John takes exception to this. John's In no small part, because John's recollection of events goes a bit like this. I said I'd be... I'm interested in fighting Francis. I'm not, I, I would like to fight. We'd all benefit. But I'm going to need more money. And the UFC said no. So John is essentially saying, I never asked for a number. I never said a number. You're saying I asked for an unreasonable amount of money. I literally did not say a figure. You're lying about me again. And John's back is a little bit up against the wall now. He's pissed. He's got longstanding acrimony with the UFC on a variety of issues. And I, I think Dana did put his foot in his mouth here. Because all he had to do was say we couldn't come to financial terms. And instead he said, no, John asked for too much money. And again, John says, I didn't ask for any number. You said, shut up. You said, shut up and dance. <laughs> and now that's the UFC's prerogative. But John apparently feels somewhat like you're not. <laughs> you are deliberately trying to make it seem like I'm the reason this isn't happening. And so he doesn't like that. And 
they started kind of going back and forth just via media. John, uh, Dana said, John asked for Deontay Wilder money, and John's response to that was essentially, I didn't ask for Deontay Wilder money. I asked how much does Deontay Wilder make to fight, which is a fair question. Deontay Wilder gets about $30 million a fight. John Jones is a better fighter than Deontay Wilder by every ranking across his sport relative to Deontay's. John is empirically a bigger draw than Deontay Wilder. And, I mean, John's response on Twitter was basically, I don't, okay, I don't want Deontay Wilder money. Give me half. How about 15? (laughs) I'm not asking for Deontay Wilder money. And, uh, I mean, look, I imagine that Dana White's nightmares, like, if you had, like, the overhead shot of Dana White sleeping, it's him shaking back and forth going, no. No million-dollar payouts. Don't pay Canelo that. Like, he, he sees the payout for boxing and just, like, spontaneously as a mild heart attack, given how little he likes to pay fighters. Right, so they, hang, on, here. hang on, hang on. I'm almost done with this. So okay. they've gone back and forth, and John at this point goes, I think today on Twitter he said, you know what, fine. You can do Reyes versus Blahovich for the light heavyweight title. Call me in 2021 when you're willing to pay me for the Adesanya fight appropriately, and I'm out. And I don't really know. And again, this is fluid. This is not really official right now. This is still developing. But if the UFC in the space of in the month of May, (laughs) right, has lost Henry Cejudo, champion, and John Jones, champion, over financial considerations, uh, that's a really bad look. All right. My first point that I want to make is this. Had there been no pandemic and things had been moving swimmingly along with no major mishaps, no more so than the UFC has faced in previous years where they've had like fight fight, fight apocalypse where like every fight they made just fell apart. You know, and they're like, um, Robert Winfrey versus Jonas Radlidge, because fuck, we've run out of fighters because everybody else got injured. Like, other than those years, which has happened on occasion, <clears throat> had everything progressed as normal, I would have to imagine the UFC would be in a, vet- a better financial picture to say, let's talk about reasonable sums of money for big time fights. First point. Second point, correct me if I'm wrong, and you follow this stuff more closely than I do, but isn't the UFC already, like, bleeding money? Like, even before the pandemic, (sighs) Endeavor and the UFC were struggling for one reason or another? Those are two different things. Okay. The UFC is fine. Endeavor is losing money? Endeavor is struggling. (laughs) Okay, well... And uh, look, Endeavor might own the UFC, but they're not they're not merged, right? They are separate entities. Okay. I assumed Endeavor was the parent company. Again, it owns the majority share in the UFC, right? Okay. But it does not own all of it. The UFC is not a 
All right, put this. If Endeavor goes bankrupt tomorrow, the UFC is still fine. The UFC, as a as it stands, is it is cash flow positive. It benefits from being owned by Endeavor, but it yeah, it's fine. Okay. The UFC is not in any sort of real financial difficulty at the moment. Endeavor is the one that is leveraged up to the gills in terms of the debt load they've taken on. Okay, so the UFC is able to make payrolls, is yep. able to is in the black theoretically on their oh yeah on their book. So it's kind of like a um, a WCW ish situation where if you just look at their books, it says one thing. Um, divorced from what the company might be doing overall. Not a total one-to-one comparison. WCW financially was a mess. And I don't want to get into all that. But I'm, I'm just trying to think of like what somebody yeah. who listening to the show might might want to compare it to. Yeah, okay. that, that's, that's pretty fair. Okay. So, yeah, again, the UFC, they have a lot of mostly guaranteed sources of income. They're not as dependent on pay-per-view as they used to be. Um, ESPN pays them almost a billion dollars a year. Okay, so then when is the Reebok deal done? Uh, end of the, sometime this year, I think. End of okay. the year. So again, I'm my contention is that they're in a position right now where it's all hands on deck. Everybody, be cooperative. Take your contract money. Don't ask for crazy amounts of money right now. The future is so uncertain. We don't want to be throwing out crazy amounts of extra money when we don't know if next month the world's going to have to clam up again and we can't do any more shows, which I think is a reasonable argument from the UFC. Like, hey, how about we make up the dates we lost? How about everybody be a team player, get behind? I don't want to get into the whole, well, the UFC doesn't have a moral high ground because they pay their low-tier fighters like garbage because that's a whole other argument. But I, <clears throat> I think dealing in the contemporary for just a minute, the UFC might be thinking, and Dana I might be thinking, hey, we missed half of March, all of April, and... They missed, they missed, I think it was six shows. Right. And here's and, the thing. And, well, and for the <clears throat> record, the, the um, nature of their contract with ESPN, which is, again, very lucrative. It's... I was, how much was it? A lot. Uh, I want to say again, like around a billion, seven hundred, six hundred million, seven hundred million, something like that. Probably, I forget exactly. I apologize. But they are contract. The UFC is obligated to provide forty-two unique live events for ESPN's uh, properties, be that ESPN, ESPN Plus, or what have you. So they're they're not getting gates, and 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 here's uh, the thing. that's not that's not really an argument for me. The U- somebody did the, this actually came out because the UFC is being sued. Okay. So th- there's this period of time. I forget exactly when I think I want to say like 10 to 16 or 12 to 16 that they are, they have turned over all of their financials information for because they're being sued. Oh, and what are they doing? Like WWE, like level house show gates that, you know, like is it really it, that negligible of a revenue stream? It is less than 10% of their yearly revenue. Wow. Okay. So, so forget it. I won't even bring that up then. But they did and, miss. And hang on. More importantly, to the set, more importantly to the fighter discussion, fighters get zero percent of the gate revenue. Well, no, my, what I'm saying is, 
I don't my think even Connor gets that. My my argument hinges on uncertainty of the world and the ability to produce events and missed events. And I think until the UFC has a fir- firm ground <clears throat> and they, and their outlook is firmer to where they know dependably they can produce events because again, right now things are opening up, but they're talking about a second wave of infections. They're talking about <clears throat> you know the possibility of things having to be locked down again later in the year. I, I we don't know, and that's the problem. I'm like, I'm hoping not. I'm hoping if my kids don't go the fuck back to school in September, there's going to be a riot in this house. Um, and I know a lot of parents feel that way. But we just don't know. And so if I'm a business owner and there's that much uncertainty out there financially, I don't know if I'm like open to the idea of here's extra money. Now, John Jones isn't Schmageggy McGee who's fighting on fight pass. He's contracted to large sums of money. There's no reason he can't take the contracted amount of money he has to be on board, be a company guy, and fight the fights. Now, let's look at John Jones specifically. Because even if the UFC was like, well, if it was Khabib, if it was Connor, if it were the company guys who who are usually standing by us and helping out. Okay, sure. I can see them, you know, maybe like, yeah, let's see what's in the piggy bank for you. John Jones repeated the DUIs. Um, John Jones, they've looked to John Jones to bail them out of a, you of a pay-per-view with uh, Dan Henderson. I think it was. Oh, don't even bring that up. And he was like, Nope. That hang on, <laughs> hang on. If you want to talk about UFC 151, I think that, Honestly, the way that went down, I think, is still sticks in John's craw because he was utterly unfairly thrown under the bus for that. He said no. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, but well, at the end you, of the day, do you remember he, what happened? He was fight. He was supposed to fight Dan Henderson. Like Dan Henderson, like tripped on the way to the scale or something. No, no, no okay, hold on. No, here's what happened. Yeah, he was supposed to fight Dan Henderson. Yes. Now, three I weeks out. Much. Hang on. Three weeks out or so, Dan Henderson tears his MCL. Right. He tells no one. Right. A week out, he says, yeah, it hurts too much. I tore my MCL. I can't fight. Okay. In defense of Dan Henderson, I do remember that. He was trying to cowboy up for the fight. I'm not on Dan Henderson. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm not saying he shouldn't have tried to fight through it necessarily if that's what he wanted to do. I'm saying he could have told people, (laughs) hey, we got a month. I might not make it. You might right. want to consider viable alternatives. Yeah, they, they could have. Okay, on paper, yes, they could have called John and said, hey, Dan might not make it to the fight. What are your thoughts on plan B if a week out he says, nope, it still hurts too much? Sure. On the other hand, what's his nuts from Long Island, who I love? Um, Chris Weidman. Thank you. Chris Weidman is, like, I on very short notice, Ended up getting a title fight. I remember that story because he was like, yeah, I had to put down my dinner and just eat a spoonful of peanut butter to make weight. I mean, the fight game is highly unpredictable. You make sacrifices. You make changes. Either you are a company guy or you aren't. But if you're not a company guy, then don't expect the company to turn around and do you favors. The company doesn't do you favors if you are a company guy. Oh, they do. They look Bull. out. They Bull. 
Oh, oh, you don't think they look out for Cowboy? They don't look out for Cowboy. You I... know how much? Okay, okay, smart guy. How much did? How much money did Donald Cerrone make to be in the main event against Conor McGregor? Oh, like a dollar fifty. I'm not saying totally like financially they did him favors, but I would That's like the to... only thing that matters. <laughs> You're the I main like... event of the biggest pay per view of the year, basically the one that broke every record for the one that broke the record for most for like. Uh, most viewers for a live streamed sporting event. About, it was Connor McGregor. You talk about Connor Cowboy. Yeah. Okay. And he made like 200 K. Yeah, I know. He made nothing. He made nothing. <laughs> I, I can't speak. They don't take care of him, but I feel like behind the scenes, there's stuff we don't know about. And actually and, we do. Again, this is the benefit of that, of all that financial information that's available. They don't they, do him any favors that they come on. They, there's nobody like here. Here's an here's the guy I know to get you this endorsement. Here's the guy I know to get you this commercial. Something along those lines. You okay. don't think there's people working with him? Who endorses? Like, come Cer- on. Who endorses Cerrone? I don't know. To- chewing tobacco and money. No. Doesn't he does commercials? I've seen him. He does one commercial. Eh, one. Okay. Maybe there's more than we just haven't seen it. No, they just don't. <laughs> <laughs> this is like this is the supreme like this is people take the wrong lesson from Conor McGregor, right? I'm not counting him. No, 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 no. By the way, I'm aware. Here's the lesson from Conor McGregor. He bent over backwards to accommodate the UFC for his first handful of fights. He was on the come up. I'm not saying he didn't benefit. I'm saying he established in the minds of the UFC brass that, and fans, that he's a company guy, quote-unquote. Okay. Then as soon as he's champion and has an ounce of influence and uh, leverage, he turns around and tells the UFC to stick it. Well, sure, Conor McGregor's our hero. <laughs> no, no, like, that's how you have, like, that's kind of how you have to do it. The UFC will not do you any favors. Okay. So the whole, my, the line of logic that says, if you are a company guy, the UFC will in different ways look out for you holds no water you see no evidence of this that's your contention pretty much yeah fine strike it from the record the rest of my argument i think stands there's too I, much I uncertainty will, i that i will completely buy <laughs> the ufc going look man we're holding this stuff together with chewing gum and duct tape right right like i i understand it's not that i can't see some of the considerations from the UFC's end. I, if and I were to... But that I was in the middle of saying that, that the argument, because we got sidetracked with the whole 151 thing, which I I think he, with some stuff you and I agree, but with other stuff, we just have two different ways of looking at it. I still feel like John Jones should have taken that fight. And I get why he didn't. Like, I, I, I sympathize with his argument, but I'm kind of on the UFC side of step the fuck up. Stop being a baby Oh, Get in there and fight. Again, yeah, he's the one with everything to lose. Okay. He's also the greatest fighter on the planet. Probably probably beats the old man. He wasn't fighting Dan Henderson at that point. Oh, that's said, right. Hey. Oh, God, he was fighting Chael Sonnen. Yeah. Even better. Well, no, hang on. Uh, look, the, the big a big part of the reason I sympathize with John is Chael is a radically different fighter from Dan. Don't get me, I'm not saying better or worse. I'm saying if you spend eight weeks prepping for Dan Henderson, who, despite being a good wrestler, has not shot a double leg in 20 years. 
And then you're supposed to fight Shale Sonnen, who has nothing but a double leg. <laughs> okay. Let, let... I'm not saying John wouldn't have smashed Chael, because he did say, when they fought. John blew a four and a half fucking round lead against Anderson Silva on the best night of that man's career and lost in a triangle. No Again, I'm, hold on. I'm not, this is not about the competitive merits of that in a vacuum. This is about the totality okay. of the circumstances. Okay. And moreover, it is, the fact that the, you know, Dana White was publicly saying John Jones murdered this card, <laughs> which you'll recall was a thing he actually said. I do remember that. The onus is not on John Jones for your dumbass to put together a card worth the money that's, that's being put out. If you can't put together a card resilient to losing the main event, right? That's not on him. <laughs> okay, no, no, and it's not, and it's and it's not. He's not incumbent to save anything. He's incumbent to look out for himself. On that, we do agree. But again, I'm a big advocate of be a team player, take the long view. Now that aside, you want to say no, sir. UFC 151 is not John's fault, and he's an angel in that particular circumstance. I, I'm done arguing that point. The Everything else that John has done, between popping positive and DUIs and cocaine and hookers, and I'm okay with the hookers, but apparently nobody else is. So, <laughs> <laughs> so is this the guy you're shelling out extra money for in the middle of this much uncertainty? Well, okay. First of all, you don't pay him unless he gets in the cage anyway, right? Uh-huh. So you're the only real risk you're assessing, you're assuming there is John's saleability to an event prior to the event starting. What I'm How saying much... is why, why negotiate extra money for a guy who is wildly undependable? Because there's no risk of paying out if he doesn't actually get in the cage and fight, at which case who cares you've made your money. How many more times are we going to put John in the cage and then he wins and then something negative happens? I'm going to say again, so what? You have now made the money off of the pay-per-view. No, I hear what you're saying. I just, I'm, I'm trying to look at this. See, I'm in this position of, have, of defending the company. <laughs> um, look, John... and, and I don't, and again, I look, companies are extremely risk averse and that's not just, risk averse in terms of putting out the product, but also marketability. Every time one of these idiots crashes into a telephone pole high on cocaine and covered in hookers, it makes the UFC look bad. And the UFC doesn't have a great look to begin with. I was going to say, the UFC's <laughs> image. <laughs> the, the the they're, trying to move, be... they're trying to be more positive, not more negative. They're not like attract, trying to attract the most negative attention. I just, like, this isn't the guy in the middle of this much uncertainty with his record, he's not the guy to stick his hand out and go, I want extra to do my job. Well, That's my contention. Well, look, in John, again, somewhat in John's defense, he was not saying, I think a fight with Jan Blahovich warrants me making $15 million. Okay. He was saying, if I'm going to go up to heavyweight and fight Francis Ngannou, I think that is worth more than I am making. Okay. 
So now, when he, so go back a second. So when he was like, "Fuck it, I'll just fight Yawn." What was the answer? I I don't know. Apparently they said that seemed to be the wheels are going to keep turning. Okay. And then Dana said, "No, John's an unreasonable person asking for Deontay Wilder money." And John said, "You've lied about me for the last time." Get the feeling they were just trying to cut bait with John. Uh, yes and no. John's a very valuable property, right? In John, well, okay, okay. Look, I know the man's personal life is kind of a train wreck. Okay, uh-huh. I'm not going to defend his character. John is. John has headlined. I think six pay-per-views that we know did over 500,000 buys. Right. In 2018, John was half of the second most successful pay-per-view of the entire year behind only Connor Khabib. John has generated in revenue for the UFC hundreds of millions of dollars. And I'm not saying that the, that, that, that John's career isn't approaching the end and the UFC might be trying to make that calculation. Like, okay, he's still, he's still valuable, but, uh, we know that's gonna, you know, trying to manage talent like that is a difficult thing. Yeah. I was going to say that there might, they might've done a calculation of where, you know, we have a limited talent pool because of travel restrictions. We have depleted, Weight, uh, weight classes already, even on the best of days with no flight restrictions. And he has murdered the light heavyweight division for like 10 years now. Um, and I think they might have looked at heavyweight and go, I don't need him killing another division. It's not worth like the long term growth of oh, the heavyweight division is there. not worth John Hold Jones on. murdering it. Hold on. Uh, if John were going to have a prolonged career at heavyweight, I think you, I think that might be fair. I don't think, I think John's play, if I might get into his head, go up to heavyweight, fight Francis, beat Francis, fight for the title. I think that was it. He was calling out Brock Lesnar a few months ago. Eh, I mean, everyone was calling out Brock Lesnar. My son called out Brock Lesnar. So I get it. But I mean... Uh, look, are you serious? Again, I mean this in all seriousness. One, the growth of heavyweight is kind of a joke anyway, because the, <laughs> Uf- because the UFC doesn't really pay enough to attract high-level athletic competitors into its into heavyweight. If you can fight successfully in the UFC at heavyweight, you're probably equally capable, if not more so, depending on your athletic predilections, capable of competing in other sports that pay you better for less risk. Mm-hmm. But I think they look at John Jones and go, okay, we don't – it's kind of like, you know, putting a very aggressive uh, fish in, you know, in there with, with, with very smaller fish. It's like, well, this, this community was getting along just fine. Then you put in this giant Oscar, and it ate everything in sight, and now you have no division left, and you didn't have much I, to start with. Again, I think John is there for two fights, maybe three. I think – That might again, be enough. Look, I, again, okay – so the fact that the UFC can't actually curate a division is not John's fault. <laughs> right. But again, the company point of view is 
do we what is the long-term benefit of putting John in heavyweight where he beats Stipe? Maybe he has another fight with Dan Cormier again and probably beats him again with the luxury of not having to cut weight. And he beats up-and-comer and possible title contender Francis Ngannou. Oh, and let's just, for shits and giggles, throw in Alistair Overeem. Nah, he wouldn't fight over him. He might. No, I'm not. I'm not kidding when I say he, I think he would win that belt and then probably retire. Well, again, I'm not. That's a hard sell. I'm in the again. I'm going to be in the pitch chair again. You're pitching me John Jones at heavyweight. None of what you just said is appealing. If okay. I'm if I'm in the UFC, then if I might speak to how the UFC would think about it, you not. What are you going to do with Francis in the for the next six months, eight months? Has he fought Alistair Overeem? Yes. Okay. He knocked no, him well, out. I'm out of ideas. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you what they're going to do with him. Okay. They're going to sit him on ice for the rest of the year. Stipe and DC are going to fight sometime probably August, September, because that's when Stipe will actually be able to train again. They'll do Cormier Stipe 3. And then first quarter of next year, Nganu fights either the winner of that for the belt or someone else for the vacant belt. Have they done Nganu versus JDS? Yes. Jesus, fuck. Have, has, has he not fought? Is there anybody he hasn't fought? Yeah, there are people he hasn't fought. I mean, in of... like, I mean in like the top five. No. Oof. He lost to Steve. He hasn't fought Cormier. Okay. Okay. I don't. Lost... Why would Cormier take that fight, though? If there's a, if they strip Stipe of the belt and put the belt on the line, that's it. That's the okay. only circumstance under which Cormier fights Ngannou. All right. So what is the, so so where are we going with all this? You've kind of heard my okay, my I, thing. I, again, I think I think you're going to maximize money, right? How much does John Jones versus Jan Blahovich draw? Versus how much does John Jones versus Francis Ngannou draw? I would say the Ngannou fight draws more. A lot. Now, let's say John wins. Is that a catastrophic loss for Francis Ngannou? No. No, you he can rebuild. The, you lost from the, to the best in the world. In a situation where you just laid out that he isn't even going to be active for another six to seven months. So, again, even if he loses, Ngannou, is, his career is not irreparably damaged, in all probability. Mm-hmm. It would take a wild, unforeseen twist of fate for that to be really bad. Then you get John versus someone for the heavyweight title. Which will also sell more than John versus whatever Joker is at 205. <laughs> you have now created a circumstance where the greatest, where John, one of the best ever, probably the best active, certainly, now gets a chance to fight for his second title in a different division against either his heated rival in Cormier or the best heavyweight the UFC's ever seen in Stipe Miocic. This is a much more saleable fight. And by the way, if during this, one of your stipulations is John vacates 205, then sure, you've got that division moving along to some extent while John is doing this. Okay. Those are all logical arguments. Where's the argument against a historically conservative-minded, risk-averse, 
corporate structure that does not want to throw money at a guy who tends to become a marketability problem. I think the, again, I think the big issue is that the UFC is not willing to budge at all. And that's the, that's certainly their prerogative. They have a very, they have a valid contract with John, but you're then going to, uh, this is, uh, how do I say this? This is a nickel holding up a dollar. If the UFC is looking at it that short sightedly. I would not be surprised if they are. I mean, and and look, you, I can put my own kind of opinion aside and just sort of say, this is what I think they're thinking. And you can rest on your opinion of saying they're stupid. And that's that's all well and good. But I that, that that's where we are, though. You know, I don't think this is the environment right now where the UFC makes wild and crazy decisions. And I think that <laughs> on the contrary, they're going to make a lot of them. They're just not going to like any of them. <laughs> you know, and I think it's easier to cut bait with some of these guys at the top. So the other side of this is, is also John walks away from the UFC. You know, he walks away from a high level contract. That's one less high level contract they have. Yeah. And again, I, I mean, they've been making the UF. I don't want to get into fighter pay because that's a long well, discussed topic. Let me, let me quick, let me quick put an addendum on that. If the greatest source of revenue they have is television rights, and if they and they could put theoretically, they could put a bunch of ham and eggers on there and get the same as if they put WrestleMania on they for do. all intents and purposes, then. Yeah, I'm looking for places to cut fat at this point. And if John's going to be fat, then cut fat. That actually makes logical sense. Again, I I think it's relatively short-sighted, but I do understand how they could arrive at the conclusion. Okay. Um, It's very short-sighted, but, I mean, the world may be ending tomorrow. Short-sighted is where it's at, baby. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so, again, John, at the moment, that his stance is, yeah, I'm... I'm done. I vacated my title. Call me when you want to pay me appropriately for... And and look, here's the other thing I'm going to say about John. If John is genuinely at the point where he's going, you know what, my compensation no longer matches the physical risk, I'm assuming, that's fair. Sure. And if you can't come... And if you can't come to terms with the compensation on that, then walking away is not unreasonable. (laughs) We said in a private chat on a conversation about fighter pay, and I basically said, if you don't like it, leave. Go be a gym teacher. Um, and, I, and, I, and I meant that for the guys at the top, too. If you have become dissatisfied for any number of a zillion reasons with the UFC and you've got it to where you can walk away, I'm all for John walking away. Tell those people to go fuck themselves. There, there are opportunities out there for John if he wants them. Or he can sit home, smoke crack, and fuck hookers. I'm good either way. Oh, God. Ryan Bader was just the dumbest thing. <laughs> After John said that, he's like, you know, champ, there are other options. Bellator would love for us to run it back. If no one else. <laughs> Shut up, Ryan. Uh, so, um, here's one thing I will say. I don't think he goes to the WWE because I know that's everyone's like stock answer. Like, oh, they'll just go, he'll just go wrestle. 
He'll go get some of that Cain Velasquez money. I don't think. Uh, I, I don't think John's a wrestler like that. You know. No, I don't. John doesn't have that kind of personality. Like John's got a personality, but not the kind of personality where if you turn it up to ten, it becomes entertaining. He's just kind of a he's a dude. Like his best asset was that he's the most intelligent fighter. He he has high his fight IQ is the best in the sports history. Yeah, that's what I'm thank you. That's what I was trying to say and was fumbling. Um so his fight IQ is the best in history. So what do you do with that? Well, since you're not really a personality. I mean, uh, I, I think I, John look, John's personality turned up to eleven, he'd be in a tag team with Matt Riddle. <laughs> Um, yeah, anyway, I don't see him going into wrestling. I mean, maybe he I, take, I mean, maybe, Bellat- maybe he goes to Bellator. I don't think he'd like to fight Ryan Bader. But I think, you know, he'd be one of those guys where Bellator would throw him, you know, now I see it on Middle Easy. Ryan Bader invites John Jones to Bellator. Terrific. Um, I could if see a tree, going to, If a tree falls in the wood and no one, and no one hears it, doesn't make a sound. I could see, well, here's the thing. I can see, the Bellator thing becomes a yan-yan. For a lot of fighters, you know, I want X amount of money. No. Okay, well, I'll go to Bellator. Yeah, yeah, they paid me. Ha. And like, what, one or two fights? Have them fight Fat Rampage again. That'll be fun. That would be awful. <laughs> um, you know, it, when it comes to John, actually, I think if he can get his stuff together, I think he'd be a genuinely great coach. He, okay. has, he has such a phenomenal mind for combat sports. Um, again, if you listen to anyone talk about how he breaks down tape, he is better at breaking down tape than most coaches. Okay. He is, and again, that's contingent on him getting a lot of his personality and his personal life together. Yeah. But I think yeah. he has a lot of, I think, I genuinely think he has a lot to offer in that respect. Yeah, it's hard to say, because when you don't have a personality, there's not a tremendous amount of doors that are open for you outside of strict combat sports, and you just left the best place in the world to, to fight at in terms of the most exposure. So, I mean, like, where do you go? You know, if not Bellator, then what, one? I think you said something about, like, PFL in the chat, which I don't didn't even know that was a thing. There's no World Series of Fighting anymore. That's the PFL now. There's a Professional oh, Fighters League. Okay. I mean, again, whoever, I guess, who's ever willing to throw... You know, like maybe do like a one-off pay-per-view, or like I said, or maybe he just finds a new chapter in his life. He figures out what he wants to do next with it. Not everyone fights forever. No one fights forever, unless you die in the ring. Cowboy Cerrone's fighting forever. I don't think he is. He knows he's close to the end. <laughs> I, 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 no, no, seriously. If you look, Cerrone's a very self-aware guy. Mm-hmm. And he said after his last few fights, you know, yeah, I, I can feel it. I know I'm getting there. I'm not there yet, but he knows it's coming. God, you can't even go into acting. Like, like I could see John, John Jones has really good looks, but he, you know, but do you, do you put him in films? I mean, like in a Ronda Rousey kind of limited stand in the background and mug at the camera. God, he has this, he has such vacant eyes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm just picturing him, like, you know, in an action movie, and he's one of the heavies in the background, and, like, the director having to just call cut and be like, John, react! Oh, God. Oh, man. Okay, I needed that. Thanks. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, again, I don't, I don't know. Um, but that's where we are with that. That's definitely something we're going to be keeping an eye on because I genuinely want to know what else does John Jones do with his life if he wants to do something in the like the public arena. I I don't know. I I, I genuinely don't. Um, all right, let's. We mentioned it a little bit earlier, but let's talk about this just a little bit. Uh, not too in depth, but a little bit in depth. Um, the Reebok deal, Mark, <laughs> uh, is coming to an end uh, later this year, I believe. So- shortly, if nothing else. Um, what do we say about this clown fiesta when it's all said and done? And, I mean, and look, hang on, for the record, I bring this up because there is no way that's getting renewed. Yeah, I think no this is, way. I think it's been a nightmare for the fighters. Um, and, and look, I, I see the UFC's standpoint on this. I really do. Like when you have guys fighting and it says Dan Dan's dildo emporium on someone's ass, you're like, you know what? We need tighter control over this, over who's paying for ads on people's shorts. And so if you have a big sponsor and everybody gets the same sponsor and there's no more Dan's Dildo Emporium on your ass, I get it. That's a great argument for the Reebok deal. Unfortunately, and I was trying to explain this to my wife, I guess in terms of, of like fighters pay, you know, oh, it's gosh. it's kind of like the D, it's kind of like the WWE guarantee um, the WWE guaranteed contract, which is they pay you a buck fifty, but if you like if your teacher sells your videos sell if you know if anything with your likeness on it sells you get a portion of that and i remember like kevin nash talked about like at the end of the year you'd get this printout of everything that had your likeness on it and how much of a cut of that you got and that's where you made your money so like unless you were the guy at the very top yeah yeah so also we'll talk about the majority of, of fighters slash wrestlers so again if you're a fighter and in the old days of the UFC and in Strike Force, um, they would come out with a banner, and the banner had all of these ads on it, and your shorts were covered in ads, and your T-shirt had ads, and, and you would just everything had ads because that's where you made your money. And so, if the Reebok deal wasn't going to somehow equally compensate all of the potential earnings the fighters had, then yeah, this was a huge rip. Not to mention... I've done the math on this, by the way. Go ahead. Well, okay. The The deal was for $70 million over the however many years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, comically low number, right? Do you know how right. much Nike pays to be like the exclusive apparel provider for the NFL? How much? I don't know off the top of my head, you, you, but you know what I mean, like billions, right? Sure. Okay. They pay an arm and a leg. To be the exclusive apparel provider for that. Like, okay, if, you, if an NFL player is on air, they only are wearing Nike, and we are paying through the nose for this because we know we make a return on it. Right. You know, I mean, um, the one that got compa- that was slightly more comparative. Okay, so the NFL, giant institution. UFC, not the NFL. How about the NHL? Right? Mm-hmm. The, the National Hockey League's exclusive apparel provider was paying something like 10 times what Reebok was paying the UFC. Right. Okay. So the the UFC got lowballed for this, and the fighters got screwed. That's well, that's hang, the story. That's what we know. That's a big part of it. But again, I actually did some of the math on this because somebody pointed out because we know how much Reebok pays out. 
That, that that's public. That is the well. It's not Reebok. Reebok pays the UFC. The UFC pays the fighters. We know what the fighter compensation slash compi- compliance policy has paid out to fighters year to date. It's a little over thirty three million dollars over the six years. If you divide that by the five hundred and fifty fighters or so on the UFC roster by per year, they pay like ten grand per fighter per year. Wow. It's. I mean, it borders on the unconscionable. Right? No, no, I get that. Like this one, like you and me are are right in lockstep. I, and and here's the other side of it. So take out the fight, the giant financial rip the fighters took that sent a lot of them to Bellator and everywhere else. So take that out of the equation for just a second. The Reebok clothing, the Reebok apparel, first of all, <laughs> made everyone fucking look like. They were doing like open gym workouts. They're the oh ugliest fucking things I've ever seen. Do you like, remember? Do you remember that god awful like fashion show rollout they had? I I remember you guys making fun of it. Um, oh, it was so bad, and poor Gilbert Melendez with his name misspelled all over his stuff. Yeah, I for it it the thing about I, I say this about wrestling all the time. Combat sports, any sports, anything on television is a visual medium. Shit has to pop. I, I know people who are like true sports, like true sports enthusiasts don't get that. And they're like, it's about competition. Okay. But for the nine, 90% of the people that aren't you people who only care about the sport, they are looking for something interesting on television to capture their imagination that involves color palettes okay that involves personalities that involves sound music okay all of these things factor into the vision the watching experience for the viewer and when you took away and again i get the ufc's point some of these look like some of these people came in looking ridiculous well, I, what look, was the one look, guy who came in in the banana hammock? Okay, that's that, my that, favorite. Okay, hold on, uh, that was um, that guy who's like submitted Matt Hughes in twenty seconds across three fights. Um, <laughs> Dennis, not a joke, Dennis Holman. Right. Yeah. Okay, that was a wardrobe thing more than anything else, <laughs> and the UFC did immediately after that say, "Okay, no, <laughs> we right. are banning the we are banning." Bikini briefs <laughs> for being a pr- appropriate fight attire. I'll take things I never heard myself my, say myself say for five hundred, Alex. Um, so like I, I get that. Like, if you have institutional control over wardrobes, you don't have banana hammocks ever, or anything approximating a banana hammock. Um, and when I say that, I mean you don't have people getting it into their head to do something stupid. They can't anymore. You've taken that away from them. But you've also taken away color paletting, personality, pop, marketability. If I didn't know who these fighters were when I'm watching them, you would never know just by, you know, it's two people in fucking workout gear. That's it. One of the things you used to tell a fighter apart from another fighter was their gear. It's one of the things that made Bellator a fun watch. One guy comes out looking like a dinosaur. One guy's got a crown on his head. It was like pro wrestling. And to some people, like, yuck, everything you just said sucks. We prefer Reebok. I get there's some of you out there. But for the rest of us humans, we like gimmicks. We like color. If I may, 
I think there's again, I think there's a valid point to be made about the uh, the NASCAR, for want of a better expression, <laughs> of fight shorts that we used to have. Sure. And, and, and again, I, I don't again, I don't really completely disagree with the point, right? That okay, you can't have condom depot on your butt. <laughs> <laughs> We've moved away from Dan's dildo emporium. Well, I don't know that that's a real thing. <laughs> that was ever in the UFC. Condom Depot was. I, wasn't there also like a bullets thing? Like uh, somebody the, had the like a machine gun bullets. Yeah. That was the gun store. That was a big. The gun store paid a lot of fighters, man. Yeah. And Probably I think a lot more than Reebok like, did. And I think that was like a big bone of contention. It's like, well, we're fine with Condom Depot, but could you get the machine gun off your ass? Um, yeah. Or dy- dynamic fastener. <laughs> uh, which no one knew what it was. Right. Um, so again, I'm, I'm not saying there's not a point to be made about that. I have, again, I, I think there's two things that kind of happened almost concurrently that make me really roll my eyes about that. One is the utter blandness and homogeneity of what, of the product we got. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? Well, hang on. Yeah, I, I agree. And I agree with you there. Two, have you looked at the UFC's canvas lately in the octagon? Yeah. Okay, so it's okay for the UFC to sell a giant chunk of ad space on the canvas to a pube trimmer <laughs> and for the UFC to get paid for it, but not the fighters. And they're also selling they're also selling, you know, microwave meals. That's what Devour is. Yeah. And they're not as bad as Strike Force, who everyone thought was monster energy drink fighting. No, you just tend to think that the UFC is now Modelo. Uh, look if the ufc's whole thing was okay we need a more professional presentation there will be one logo we'll have the ufc logo in the middle and you know or what is it i mean boxing does it there's one logo yeah if they want if they went that route like okay one and we're gonna you're gonna submit a logo that we like and we're gonna you know streamline this and then maybe I could have got along with it. But the fact that they immediately went, no, the fighters can't be NASCAR cars, but boy, the ring sure will be. Sure. Um, yeah, the Reebok deal was such a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there, there was such backlash over the fighter pay that Reebok actually had to put out its own press release that said, we're not paying the fighters, we're paying the UFC. You, if you have an issue with that, take it up with them. Yeah, they, they, they tossed the ball. Um, um, and, and in fairness... If that's they're not paying the fighters, they're paying the UFC or, oh, God, remember when they were like, yeah, these fight kits were going to sell that a nobody bought. Right. And B were like, again, the hilarious thing about those was like, okay, these costs say 100 bucks and the fighters are going to get a I forget what the percentage was. Look, you're talking to a guy who wears like gym gear all the time because I'm a giant fat ass. Okay, I wear T-shirts. I wear gym shorts all the fucking time when I'm not wearing my nursing scrubs. And if you make like something that's colorful or funny or engaging, I will wear it. I wouldn't wear any of the Reebok stuff. It again, looked they all look like the kind of shit you'd find in a yoga studio. Yuck. And again, it like even yoga gear tends to be at least brightly colored. Everyone was like, like yeah, we're a guy into white shorts, a guy into black shorts. Here we go. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> I mean, the, the big innovation, I think, a couple of years ago was, well, now we've got chalk. <laughs> like, the, 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 and look, let, let me be clear about Reebok. 
the quality of product that Reebok puts out is fine. Like I have a Reebok workout shirt. I what? I think that's what I was saying. Like I I wear you know I, I, I wear you, a lot. Hang it. You probably own Reebok stuff and wear it, and the quality of the material is fine. But boy, yeah. are they not creative. Uh, you if you go into like any sneaker store store in the mall when they finally open, you can find like cool looking gear from Reebok or Nike or whatever like shoe brand is also selling T-shirts and shit. They, they like Adidas. They all look fine. Like you know, if that's your brand and you like it, they sell stuff that you can wear in public and not look like an embarrassment. That wasn't what the guys in the UFC and the girls in the UFC were wearing. The guys and the girls in the UFC looked like they were wearing, like you know, drab yoga gear. It looked terrible. Yeah. So again, that's about to end. And I suppose, again, we if they re up that if they not not that deal that deal is not going to stand. But if they re up with Reebok, I would be shocked. So better question: the UFC is probably going to try to do something similar to this. The financial terms might change. In fact, if they do another like sub 500, if if whatever group they go to next pays them less than 500 million dollars to be their exclusive sponsor, like I'm sorry, you people are idiots. When was so, this? You, when was this Reebok deal? Oh, six years ago, seven years ago, so 13. Right. So in the past six to seven years, they've moved up from uh, Fox, which is no longer a thing. To Disney slash ESPN, they're they've changed owners. Their visibility has gotten bigger. I would have to think that just in terms of pricing, they would have to be given a bigger deal. And nobody in the company could be stupid enough at this point to take less. So we'll see what happens. But I I would imagine they get a comparable deal. I mean, no one go. If you're any company wanting to do an apparel deal, you're not looking at the UFC like they're the NFL, the HFL, or the Major League Baseball or the NBA. But they're not where they were six years ago either. I would tell you that given the visibility of ESPN, they would have to up, they would have to at least double, if not triple, their offering. So, uh, other question. Uh, who do you think they land with if they're going to try to get something similar? I don't know. <laughs> no idea? There was a... I was trying to think of the the brand that everyone used to wear when MMA was uh, coming up Affliction, to make this joke. Tap yeah. Out? <laughs> tap Out, yeah. That's the Can't. one. Tap Out is... Uh, isn't Tap Out exclusive to WWE right now? Uh, maybe. Um... Or that in CrossFit. <laughs> I think CrossFit is with Tap Out. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe Nike. Um, I, I all I ask say. is that we get some somebody with some creative. <laughs> so, like, okay, if you want to do like broad color pal, like, you know, you know, flat color bases. Give each individual fighter something distinctive on what they're wearing, please. Yeah. Uh, okay, so there's that. I am. Can't do that. Okay. Um, let's talk about this real. F- these next couple should go fairly quickly. Okay. Um. 
So Henry Cejudo announced he was retiring after he beat Dominic Cruz a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. There was wide speculation that this was a public negotiation because Cejudo was publicly not happy with his pay. (laughs) Seems to be a theme. Who'd have thought, right? Um, And his manager, I think, last week came out and said, no, I fully expect Henry to be back in the UFC, at which point his manager was fired for gross incompetence. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that he was, but he should have been. (laughs) Um, This last week, uh, the UFC officially vacated the bantamweight title. Cejudo appeared on AEW. This seems legit. (laughs) Yeah. And now how long it will last, I don't know. Um, that might be, that, again, that might take longer. He might come back at some point. But this does not seem to be a, I've retired, uh, and then, you know, a month and a half, you know, a month later, they, no, we came to terms. You never vacated the belt. We're all good. Uh, this seems pretty legit that Cejudo was like, eh, I'm moving on to the next phase of my life. And that's uh, watching Mike Tyson fail to rip a shirt off. <laughs> Yes, Mike Mike Tyson lost a wrestling match to his shirt. Uh, that said, I really do wish he'd actually just stiff Chris Jericho. <laughs> just just for the hilarity. So, what's your question? Um, I don't know. What do you What do we got on this? I mean, I, you're not a big Henry Cejudo guy, I know. I mean, Henry Cejudo is like what five three? I don't know, something like that. Five four. And he's got the personality, but he doesn't have the height. To make it in the WWE, um, I mean AEW. Will, AEW will take anybody, and if and I guess if they're going to do like a long term thing with Tyson, and Tyson needs a crew, and Henry Cejudo wants TV time and an easy job, there's no reason why that that can't be a thing. Plus, I mean, let's hang on. Let's be clear. In AEW, five four Henry Cejudo is a giant. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> and he's jacked to the gills, man. You're like, I want to see him stand next to like Orange Cassidy because Cassidy is maybe two inches taller, but uh, well, I was gonna say like our Darby Allen, who is also short and also like rail thin. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, I mean, but that's the thing. Like, this is the opposite of the John Jones question. Henry Cejudo can go wherever there's a camera and he'll be fine. He's got personality to spare. He's a fun guy. Unfortunately, uh, a lot of it is badly directed energy. Well, I, that's also highly sub- subjective. No, um, no, his his king of cringe stuff, no one liked. So, I think Henry Cejudo, like I said, there's a lot of guys that like when they leave their chosen sport to sort of go on a tour of tour of like whoever will shoot me. And I don't mean with like with a gun. I mean with a camera. Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. You know, they're like, oh, over here, there's a camera, and they're like, they'll appear there. Like <clears throat> back in the day, like you do an appearance on MTV, you show up over here, you do a thing over there. You know, it's like you get an agent, the agent gets you gigs. Um, and if you're not having to get punched in the face in those gigs for real, then all the better. And I think Henry Cejudo seems like the kind of guy that will just, you know, just do gigs until he decides what he wants to do with it when he grows up. I, mean, I can't see him continuing to do like, like serious professional MMA. I feel like he's like, nope. I conquered the Olympics. I conquered this. I'm gonna go get paid. Yeah, Cejudo's. He's an he's an odd guy who's you know, when we wind up trying to suss out, you know, where does he fit in the pantheon of you know all time greats? Uh, 
he's going to be a hard guy to figure out where he fits in that conversation because he certainly accomplished some impressive things, but he, a little bit of the Conor McGregor syndrome, you know, Mm -hmm. showed up, did something impressive, but didn't have a tremendous amount of longevity, especially at the title level. Now, Cejudo at least has a title defense of each title he won. Conor's never defended any title ever in any promotion where he's ever won one. But, Again, it's it's an odd thing to try and figure that out. Yeah, like I said, look, not everybody wants to... <clears throat> We're not dealing in a world that I think truly appreciates, like, greatest of all time, you know, and longevity. Like, Pat and I have been doing... If it, Let me try to explain that a little bit better. Pat and I have been doing the series on heavyweight champions, and a lot of what defines the guys that we're talking about is, long, you know, the ability to win and retain your title in successive defenses, making you one of the greatest of all times. And I think there was a deeper appreciation for it in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. Um, I think now, because media is highly disposable and memories are short and ADD riddled, I think a guy like Henry Cejudo, you know, makes a splash and then it's on to the next thing. It, it's just so personalities, events, media in general are so highly disposable that you don't need longevity actually works against you. Cause then people are like, I'm bored. What else are you going to do clown? So Henry Cejudo like might be making the best, you know, like, like I've done it. I've made a splash. There's nothing more I can do here. I'm in the, I'm in the two lowest weight classes of men you know, and it's the ones that nobody pays any attention to. So fuck it. I've made a name. People are throwing gigs at me. I just showed up on some garbage wrestling show with next to Mike Tyson. Like he's going in a good direction for him. Well, and he got there by uh, he also, you know, hey, my one title defense over a guy who hasn't fought in four years. I mean, let's compare him to Demetrius Johnson. Now, you as a pure sports guy, look at Demetrius Johnson, and go one of the greatest of all time. Certainly Absolutely. the greatest. Certainly one of the greatest flyweight champions. The greatest. The greatest flyweight champion in the history of the UFC, if not the history of MMA. There have been two. There have been <laughs> the, two flyweight champions in the history of the UFC. Okay. Demetrius Johnson and Henry Cejudo. <laughs> right. But how much of a multimedia splash did Demetrius Johnson make versus Henry Cejudo in that time? How much did longevity benefit him? Uh it benefited him in the only way it can benefit you when you're not in it, when you're not in a position to really for, and again, I've pointed out that there's three people to, there's three parties to blame for Demetrius Johnson, not being a bigger deal. There's the UFC for not really knowing how to promote anybody. <laughs> there's Demetrius Johnson for not being easily promotable. It, and helps, there, it helps when you have a personality, which he doesn't. He, he does. it Again, if promotion is the art of bringing out your personality, the UFC just sucks at it. Okay, that that's fair. That might be one in there, but there, if there are like three levels, there's no, there's it's there, but it needs to be drawn out by a director or a producer or somebody. And then there's Chael Sonnen. Yeah, like, he's, you know. he's, definite, he's definitely... Middle of that particular ranking, trending a little more towards the bottom. 
Right. I'm freely admitting that, okay? <laughs> uh, again, when I say he's not easily promotable, it's not easy to promote the guy in terms of really dr- both drawing him out. And then the third one is the marketplace, which is, I mean, I, I can blame the marketplace, but I also, like, can't control it, you know? Right. Look, it, you're, you're a big lumbering giant who sucks at MMA, but you're still going to grab more eyeballs than the 5 here's, 1 guy. Here's who's Greg. Awesome. Well, hold on. Here's Greg Hardy. Played for played in the NFL for however many years, beat up his girlfriend, got sent out of the league in disgrace, now fighting in the UFC. Can't fight very well. But he's at heavyweight and ESPN loves football. Right. So he's on pay-per-view in main cards and getting paid like $300,000. And is terrible. <laughs> but he, for some reason, draws, he is able to draw bits of interest where Demetrius Johnson, not so much. And again, there's a degree of me that gets it. But again, if I'm trying to point out you know, three reasons why DJ wasn't a big success, his personality's not over the top to begin with. The UFC does not actually promote you. It gives you a platform to promote yourself. And the market is disinclined to care that much about anything about people that small anyway for, and again, not especially in MMA. I should really qualify that. Especially the MMA marketplace does not right. like smaller fighters. Boxing doesn't have a problem with them. In, mm-hmm. fact, in fact, some of the biggest stars in the history of boxing have been smaller guys. Sure. But the MMA marketplace is the MMA marketplace. So <clears throat> anyway, point being to all of that, um, yeah, I, I I don't have anything against Cejudo, you know, so good luck and Godspeed, I guess. Yeah, go make that money, pal. Take as much money from Tony Khan as you can. All right, and I think the last thing to close us out here, we got some clarity on the bantamweight title picture. I was terrified we were going to get Peter Yawn and Frankie Edgar. Why is Frankie Edgar still a thing? I don't know. Instead, we're, the UFC is apparently targeting Peter Yan and Jose Aldo. Which Why is Jose a, Aldo still a thing? Well, Jose Aldo can at least still win a fight. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, can I just say also, like, this goes to Dominic, the way the UFC has handled, like, Dominic Cruz, Jose Aldo, a few other guys. We spent, like, all of their title reigns. With the UFC kind of going, eh, they're not needle movers. You know, they're, they're not big draws. Right. And now all of a sudden, like, yeah, a win over Jose Aldo really cements you as a big star. <laughs> like, I love Jose Aldo. Okay? I really do. Phenomenal, phenomenal fighter. But we're now applying money weight logic to people who were never big draws <laughs> for undiscernible reasons. There is an element of the UFC just sort of grasping at straws and, and you know, just throw their hands wildly waving. There's a word I'm looking for here. Um, flailing, thank you. Just the UFC just sort of flailing because they don't know what direction to go in. No, it's, just like, it's like January through May. Here's the story of the UFC. Flailing, nothing is working. We don't know what to do. With it. Oh, shit, the world fell apart. Uh, and it's a real shame because Bantamweight, do yawn and Sterling. <laughs> do yawn in Sandhagen. Especially now that you don't have to actually sell tickets to anything. 
Like now is the time. Like, you know, th- that's the thing. And, and this is kind of the last thing I want to say. If there was ever a better time to throw guys out there to make new stars, if you like, if the big takeaway from John Jones and Henry Cejudo and this whole conversation we've been having for the past hour is fuck these guys. You don't want to, you know, it's the Vince McMahon thing. You don't want to play ball and be a team and be a company player. I'll make 10 more to look just like you, which I'm all about. Like, yeah, go for it if you've got that kind of talent. So if the contention previously was we can't put these guys at the top of cards, they're they're not name worthy enough and our brand doesn't sell that many tickets, then okay, you have to anchor these things with stars. But right now you're in a position of you're being paid to just provide content. You could, you know, it, it, tip, you know, pip farting on a stand drum for an hour works just fine. Two, now is the time you've got so many eyeballs starving for uh, live combat sports uh, entertainment and you don't have to sell tickets to anything. You're just throwing fights together in a gym. Yeah, go for it. Throw some guys out there. Experiment. Push some people. Put some packages together. Use this time to rebuild your dregs of uh, weight classes that you've got. Now's the time. Go find some like 205ers. Throw them out there. See what you come up with. You might actually trip over a star. Hey, they tried. Hey, young Anthony Smith, you got a title shot. You lost to John, but you know you you didn't take a disqualification he, win that you could have taken. He, he got dismembered by Glover Teixeira. I, yeah, I, I, like, I remember you guys talking about it. Look, two hundred five suffers because the old guys at the top keep winning. <laughs> they won't like, go away. Like. You're put in a cage with these people. Like, here, they've got that spot. You want that spot. Go take it. And they go, no. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying overall? Maybe 205, yeah. not the best argument. But No, no, no. I, I completely get what you're saying. Like, you're you're not concerned about ticket sales. You You need to provide content. There's stuff you could try. And the UFC at the moment seems more interested in just turning over the same machine. Yeah, like now is the time for experimentation. You have everything going in your way. You have eyeballs starved for entertainment. You have you don't have to sell tickets and you have nothing but time in front of you because we're not going to have crowds again until fall 2021 at the earliest, which fucking hurts because I have concerts I wanted to go to and my daughter wanted to go to, but nobody cares about that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree again. And it really sucks for bantamweight because you know how many wins Jose Aldo has at bantamweight. Wait, can I tell you what's going on with top rank in the month of June? I mean, we talked about this already, so you kind of know where I'm headed with this, but I mean like fucking Bob Arum has taken my idea and like run with it. Shakur Stevenson apparently is fighting a bag of popcorn on June 9th, but he's doing it because I like, we, we need to make fights. We need to get guys fighting. We need to make fights. We need to fill up airtime. So Shakur Stevenson's fighting a pig hostage on June 9th. And then listen to this fucking lineup. This is a, that's a Tuesday, by the way. Okay, so top ranks, like, unloading of all the fights that, they, that we've missed for two and a half months starts June 9th. June 11th, Jesse Magdaleno versus Yennefil Vicente. Um, 
there's a hey for those of you into heavyweight, there's a pay per view: Walk versus Johnson in Poland. Back to top rank: Joshua Greer versus Mike Plania, uh, Jose Pedraza versus Mikel Lepierre. Um, uh, we have a special Saturday night fight going up against UFC Fight Night 177, which is Emmanuel Navarrete versus what I what I understand is also another bag of popcorn, uh, Uriel Lopez. That's on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, we have Andrew Maloney back on a Tuesday versus Joshua Franco. Um, undecided to be announced for June 25th. And then we finish off the month with this fucking parade with Alex Saucedo versus Sonny Fredrickson. And then on July 2nd, Jamel Herring. Yay. <laughs> versus Jonathan Oquendo. So like I said, the top rank is like, yeah, now's the time to just fucking throw guys out there. What else are we going to do? And I'm I'm with you, Bob Arum. I'm with you, Top Rank. UFC, get on the board. Get on board with this. Well, they're trying, but the UFC also has fight cards that are 11 or 12 fights deep. Yeah, I Boxing is like, here, four guys. <laughs> None of whom you've heard of. Like, but we'll uh, watch. That's the thing. People will watch. Uh, it's a Tuesday and a Thursday. It's a Tuesday and a Thursday in the summer. What else you watching? Ultimate well, tag? Look, when it comes to Tuesday, I'm probably recording with you. Yeah, probably. But <laughs> As for Thursday, look, I can find other stuff that I'd rather watch than... Okay, but you are not everybody. And everybody else... I'm, I, look, I'm not saying it wouldn't draw. I'm saying there's a, there's a very low ceiling for no-name boxing even when there's no competition. That's all I'm saying. It will see, yeah, I mean, this isn't. Ex- I think my point, my, my greater point was they are experimenting with a model here. Because again, you generally don't see like Tuesday and Thursday night weekly fights. You know, like maybe you get like a Thursday night fight, like contender show. You know, the zone was doing Thursday night fights. I think Showtime would sometimes do like a Thursday night fight. ESPN used to have like a weekly Tuesday night fight of up and comers, but it's not this tightly packed. Is what I'm saying. This seems more experimental and more like, hey, we got to get back in the swing of things. So all the fights that we can get going that aren't Canelo right now all the time. And again, at least they're trying. UFC, try a little harder. Yeah, I. it'll be interesting. Well, did you not? I don't know if you heard my rant about the main event for one of the upcoming of cards. But they're going to try and main event a fight night with uh, Cynthia Calvillo and Jessica I. I mean, I know that's a thing, and I won't be watching. <laughs> oh, God, what a terrible main event. <laughs> I mean, in all seriousness, look, I've complained for a long time about certain fights and fighters languishing on prelims when they should be on main cards. I've done this. I still do it about flyweight because the UFC doesn't put flyweight on the main card of anything. I think I did the math on this for, like, all of 2019. There were five flyweight fights on a main card for the entire year. So I'm not opposed to them trying some of these things. At the same time, if the best you can come up with is Jessica I. Um, yeah, that's going to be rough. Yeah, at that point, I know there are travel restrictions, but buy a plane. Start, the plane, start, start owning the plane people. doesn't help. <laughs> Buy an airfield. 
that doesn't that doesn't change the travel restriction. <laughs> Why do you think that if the United States were to say no one from Brazil comes in and you go, but I have a private plane, that's fine. Are the people from Brazil on it? How close are we? I, I, uh, so did you hear the thing? I, I really want to go because I got to go to work tomorrow. But um, did you did you happen to see the thing that after John Oliver did his bit on bubble sports and he was making fun of the UFC and he's like, how did you not call Fight Island UFC SEA? And then they, they filed for a trademark. trademarked it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, John Oliver is a waste of space. Okay. <laughs> Uh, all right. Let me check Twitter one last time. See if I can sift through all the uh, stuff. Because, <laughs> boy, is my timeline a mess. Uh, oh, God. Sorry, I... Uh, there's too many people who are too stupid about... <laughs> I haven't seen anything on Twitter regarding any like crazy. Okay, okay, hang on. Well, here's all I'm gonna say. You can appreciate that fighting fascism is a good thing, and still acknowledge that certain organizations might actually qualify as domestic terrorist groups. I don't. I don't wanna. I look. I don't know. I am not deeply familiar with uh, the Antifa stuff. Maybe the qualification is hasty. Certainly the fact that the KKK is not categorized as such strikes me as gross and atrocious. Just because you say I fight for X and X might be a good thing doesn't mean A, you actually fight for X or B, that the methods you use don't actually qualify as qualify you for something else. Okay. All I'm going to say. All right. I, I take issue with people's like reading comprehension on this topic <laughs> more than the actual more than necessarily the specifics in practice uh all right yeah nothing else mma related seems to have broken so no we're too busy burning down the country uh, again we're not getting it i uh, again i'm not trying to piss anybody off with that again my stance is on that is more please have some comprehension skills about what's being said as opposed to just but you know the, the title of this is good yeah yeah <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, and all right, not getting into it. Yeah. Great. So uh, just very briefly, has your workplace been just swamped? <laughs> you know, my wife all weekend, especially when like the first uh, looting started here in Tampa, which <sighs> I imagine was two days ago. It's last night. And then today it's still going. Well, um, actually, we're, in, since, we're actually, actually, I think, I think we're like now. Since it's Tampa, I imagine it started like two and a half weeks ago, and then they went, "Oh, there's a reason." Um, yeah, we're uh, we're we had a curfew tonight because you know after being locked in your house for two and a half months, you know, <laughs> what what better way wow. to celebrate than to cause another curfew? Um, I, I I think like there have been some there were there were perfectly decent quiet protests, and then there was a lot of looting. And a lot of black-owned businesses and black-owned, you know, and majority black-managed malls and stuff and stores that were looted and burnt and just a fucking mess. Um, it is that we can. I think we can all agree, whatever side of the whatever side of the political aisle you might happen to find yourself on, it's a mess. Yeah, I. 
I don't know how any of this helps do away with institutional racism or helps the the vast majority of police departments look inward about their relationship to the black community. I haven't the faintest clue what one has to do with the other, but my door is locked and, you know, and I, and I, I, we live far enough outside the city that hopefully none of this bleeds into my neighborhood because I don't own a gun. So I'm going to be, so I'm going to be a fat ass out there with fucking cancer in my lungs, swinging a broom and a knife, basically (laughs) at a bunch of protesters, looters. Yeah, the protesters won't bother. I I make a, I try to make a big distinction between the protesters and the rioters. Yeah, so <laughs> some me, people me, are out there just to protest. Let me correct myself about rioters. If they show up in my neighborhood, you know, you're going to hear it about it on the news. Fat guy with cancer <laughs> <laughs> swung a bat and a butcher knife at a bunch of people, yelling, "Get off my land!" <laughs> oh, the sad thing is, normally that would be a great Florida man story. Yep. But nowadays, yeah, weird, weird part is I wouldn't be like the worst part of that story. All right. Not even plugs. Close. All right. Moving on. Yeah. Plugs. So you and I have a thing. Yeah, yeah we do. Speaking of rioting, media manipulation, <laughs> the death of mankind, yeah, you know, really. I mean, not a, look, I laugh because I can't help myself. But when you and I, when you decided to accept my quote-unquote challenge about watching Devil Man Crybaby, which came out in 2018, I think it was 18, so a few years ago, um, you said, okay, because you said, all right, fine, I've heard you, you have insulted my honor too many times, sir, I will watch this and we will discuss it. And I went, okay, if you're going to, if you're going to watch it, I'm happy to talk about it. You said, this was, this was about a month and a half ago, right? And you said, how's my birthday? June 2nd. And you make the schedule. I just show up. And then, you know, three days ago (laughs) happened. I went, huh? Because leading up to that point, I'd been in my head going, you know, this is probably a bad idea. Not that you and I wouldn't have fun, but what kind of a discussion are we really going to have about this? <laughs> like, that was genuinely my thought because I was half, I was in half mode, like, okay, he's going to hate it. He's going to, we're going to wind up talking about the technical merits of certain artistic decisions that are made in that show. Then we're going to wind up talking about, uh, you know, it's a foreshadowing symbolism, how to interpret what takes place across the show and what I fully expected you to, again, one of those to be like, come on. Okay. I hated this and I didn't understand any of it. I'm like, okay, 90 minutes. I'm going to, we're going to explain all this stuff and hash it out. <laughs> so well, again, but just somewhere in my head was just like, okay, so what good is it? You know, like, what are we really going to accomplish here? This is probably a bad idea. Then a, then a couple of things happened. One riots, <laughs> <laughs> Two, you you messaged me and said, okay, so I didn't hate it. I went, oh, God, okay. Giant weight off my shoulders there. And it just, there's elements of that show that are going to be, that wound up being surprisingly prescient. You know, here's the, here's the funny thing. There have been a handful of things that you've been like, that 
fall into this weird category of you can't handle it, Mark. And I've done some of that to myself because there's I've admitted there are certain things I just don't like. Um, there are certain things that yeah, yeah, I, I needle you about that, and I shouldn't. So like we're doing the Babadook later this year, and you're like, you know, that's like high on the list of maybe you shouldn't watch this. Um, but like the, there's this this pool of stuff that like like ah. Uh, this isn't in your real house, and this isn't in your house, and this tends to be upsetting for you. And we're not here to have to give each other a bad time. Well, I'm you're not here to give me a bad time. Um, hold on, <laughs> the, way, but, the, the way that goes is I try to be considerate of your right. Taste. I, I said I, I corrected myself, you, I, I dragged you, you beat along. me, yeah, you beat me over the head with a salami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I tie you to the truck and we go for a ride. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you. If you if you ever like watch something and you're like, how do I get Mark to buy into this so I don't have to hear him be like, nah, it's not my thing. Like I want him to be excited about it. Like all you could have said was giant anime tits. I was in. Like <laughs> I, a couple episodes of this, I was like, I don't understand why you like this, but like like oh yeah, I like I've watched plenty of hentai in my life. This is fine. <laughs> Granted, it doesn't stay that way, but. Boy, those first couple episodes, I was watching, sitting there watching going, why wouldn't I have liked this? Does he not know me? Have I not made enough porn jokes between the two? All right, doesn't matter. Well, th- th- <laughs> hang on. Then you got to the second half and went, oh, now <laughs> yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah, it's all very clear to me now. That's why I now watched I the under- last. Now I understand why Robert thought, okay, I wouldn't care for this. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was very clear, clear as glass after that. This is why I watched the loudest voice. I'm like, finally, something I can actually deal with. Um, no, it's, I'll enjoy, I think we'll have a good conversation. I think there's a, yeah. I, if nothing else, it doesn't really matter if it met my personal taste or not. There's a lot of meat on the bone to talk about. Uh, you know, the, the show deals with paranoia and oh, it anger. Deals with so and, many, it deals with so much great that, you know, man's inhumanity to man. Right. Anger, and, paranoia. It's, it's, it's like almost like the best puberty, show to talk about right now. You know, in. In media manipula- media right. manipulation. Yeah. Coming to so, terms with your identity. So in terms the, of like... The, the extinction no. of the human race. Oh, sorry. <laughs> in case you got... I don't think we mentioned it. We're talking about Devilman Crybaby. I was going to say, we're talking about Fuller House. Um, so, no, we're talking that about Devilman Crybaby. Hold on. That would be a pitch to get me to watch Fuller House. <laughs> this deals with the end of mankind. <laughs> um, no, the point, point is we can wrap six. We are trying to do plugs here. Um, yeah, I think given the, the just the, the stuff, the reaction to prolonged two and a half months, COVID lockdowns, and then going into the unfortunate murder of George Floyd and the reaction therein and then the reaction to said reaction, I think there's probably never been a better time than right now to talk about Devil Man Crybaby, given so much of that sh- the impetus of that show is driving the humanity to kill itself so i'm I'm all in like i'm excited about it yeah, it doesn't it, really, it it doesn't went, really matter that the second half of it i wanted to hit myself over the head with a frying pan well i i might be able to help you appreciate the second half more even if you don't actually like it by the end of it okay well but yeah so this tuesday on tv party we will be talking about that and we'll be talking a little not only about that show but a little bit of the history of the property and some uh, just that uh, some some fun stuff, yeah, right. <laughs> Light sure. material, nice, easy, <laughs> breezy little, uh, you know, thirty-minute episodes. Absolutely, we'll get the sun in an I'm hour sure. flat. 
I'm sure nothing bad will happen to these cute little good anime girls. You had asked this whole thing got thing got started with like like your work must be crazy. Yeah, all weekend my wife was like, Aren't you glad you're not at work right now? Like, I'm not in booking. You know, I was in booking for a different protest, and those people were in and out, and only one or two of them were kind of entitled brats about the whole thing. The rest of them knew they had gotten arrested and missed the protest and were just trying to bail themselves out. They weren't like creating a mess. You know, I imagine most, especially if we're talking like mostly peaceful protests that wind up getting a bunch of people arrested for just sticking around too long or whatnot. Right. Most of them have probably either been through the rigmarole before or mm-hmm. no, not a big deal. I'm going to I'll be in here. I'll get bailed out. They're so not on drugs. That's, a, yeah, that's like, a big guy. Not only are they not on drugs, but like, OK, I know that if I I know how to make this worse. Right. Right. How about I try to make this as easy as possible for all parties? Uh... <laughs> the only problem we get is the occasional one who's watched one too many uh, like hop shows on TV. And so you ask them medical questions because we're in medicals in charge of I their the care. Fish. Yeah. And they're like, I need to talk to my lawyer. I'm like, I asked you if you have any allergies. Fuck nut. You know, <laughs> Are are you do you currently feel like you want to hurt yourself or anybody else? I need to speak to a lawyer. That's going to get you put in a suicide gown, dipshit. Try paying it to, try cooperating. <laughs> Those, you know, but like that's a rare thing. You know, the people that we that give us trouble in the jail are the ones that are coming in on all kinds of drugs, you know, or the ones that have had incessant run-ins with the cops and are just pissed off because they feel like they're getting arrested for living. Um like protesters they like they said they come in and they're like well this is not how i wanted to spend my afternoon and are just trying to get out so they'll go through the process mostly you know without much obstruction you know much problems because they they want to get to the phone and that's at the end of the process uh for those of you planning to get yourself arrested at a protest (laughs) so Please yeah. be not, please don't cause problems for the nice people trying to decide whether or not to, to make sure you don't die in their custody. Yeah, look, let me let, let me give everyone a hint because I'm pretty sure it's this way everywhere. The phone call that you guys see on TV, the phone call that you guys want comes at the end of the process. Not you don't get booked in like the you like the cop drops you off. Like, "All right, you're in booking. Bye." And they immediately just like throw phones at you. That's not how this works. Be cooperative. Um, so, yeah. So what else do you have? So what else do we have coming up again? We have Devilman Crybaby on Tuesday. Yeah, I'll go through this schedule real quick. So Monday, myself and Alexis Haina will be looking at the um, Jeff Loeb uh, Catwoman when in Rome. It's a six-part story collected into one trade paperback. It's a fun murder mystery featuring Catwoman as the protagonist. I really I really liked it. I, 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 uh, I was casting it in my head. I want to see Charlize Theron. As Catwoman and Jim Parsons as the Riddler. I think that'd be great. Um, okay. I'm with you on half of that. <laughs> and then Chris Hemsworth as Blondie. <laughs> uh, the aforementioned Devilman Crybaby is Tuesday. Jesse's back for the whole month of June, thank God. Well, uh, for, <laughs> well <laughs> just for the Metal Hammer of Doom. Um, I begged him to come back just one night a week. So we'll be doing Ailstorm, um, assuming they release it, Static X, otherwise we'll do something else. Uh, Termion, Catalot, Lamb of God, and then Mushroom Head between now and July 1st. Uh, the fourth is Chapter 8, 
and Pat and I's uh, t- history of heavyweight boxing championships. Uh, we just did the scramble for Ali's title, and then we did an extra because my new favorite fighter besides Joe Frazier is J- uh, Jerry Quarry. He's amazing. That does not surprise me in the least. <laughs> uh, so we we took a we took a look at his fight against Ron Lyle, and then just for shits and giggles, we did any shavers because it's about a minute long. Uh, the following week, myself and Alexis Haina will be doing a comic strip for the last days of American crime. And then uh, myself and Chris Bailey and Christian will be doing a review for NXT takeover in your house. And then on Thursday, myself and Pat Mullen will be doing our final review for Fuller house season five, part two. If you're wondering what happened the to all one the, fight- where the the one where the world gets nuked. Yes. The, the, the one with the, where the people I, buy it I would, Seriously, if if that show had any balls, it would actually end with them inadvertently triggering nuclear holocaust. <laughs> Funny as hell. Hey, hey, look, dinosaurs got a joke out of the extinction of that species. Mm. Um, if you're wondering uh, when's the next Damn You Hollywood, well, we'll be doing one for the Artemis Fowl movie that was supposed to be released in theaters, but, you know, COVID. So that comes well, to Disney+. Plus. Not only COVID, but... You're not losing a giant theater return on Artemis Fowl. <laughs> no. But no, did you hear Mulan might be getting scratched from the theaters? Yeah, I heard they were talking about that a little bit. That would... Well, look. It's not that there's no market in the United States for Mulan. There is. Sure. But the if that the bulk of that movie's financial return is probably coming from China. Right. And if China's not going to reopen in time to be accommodating if that's going to be a loss no matter what they might as well just release it yeah and maybe then people will actually want to keep their fucking subscriptions to disney plus because they're not right now so anyway artemis fowl comes out on disney plus uh, oh minor credit to disney plus for all the hoops they jumped through to get the simpsons into the proper aspect ratio now june 12th and then we'll be doing that on monday june 15th because tuesday june 16th we'll be doing backlash and my wrestling guys can't only record on Tuesdays for some odd reason. That's it. That's all I got for now. If you want to look at, um, if all you 411 people uh, liked my comedy stylings and want to check out more of my stuff, it's all on, under the W2M banner. Uh, if you just go into your podcast app, put in Rattle It, you'll find all the new stuff. Uh, this past week, we did the Three Caballeros Right Again, which is volume nine of the Don Rosa Library of the Uncle Scrooge and Donald Duck comics. Uh, we reviewed AEW Double or Nothing, and uh, got a lot then, of nothing from Mark. <laughs> and then I wasn't nearly as hard on it as fucking Jim Cornette was. Sort of just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just sort of accepted I was watching a cartoon and lived with it. Look, uh, Jim. At this point, Jim Cornette's entire existence is him. Kayfa- Look, Jim Cornette is like ribbing the entire wrestling community. He's accepted that his new gimmick is Abe Simpson, old man yelling at Cloud, and he just runs with it and is laughing at all of us marks. And then finally, myself and Alexis Hanna did a TV party for the Legends of the Three Caballeros uh, cartoon that first aired in the Philippines and is now exclusive to Disney+. Plus. I was starting to say, if you're missing, and why wouldn't you be, the uh, live coverage, I, I'm trying to get John War back on. I haven't heard from him. Uh, I may have to hire a new boxing guy. Problem is, right now, a lot of the boxing is Tuesdays and Thursdays, which are big recording days for me. So I, I might be just DVRing these and watching them and doing no coverage. 
And if you're wondering, like, well, what happened to the MMA coverage? There's been plenty of that. I'm lucky I made it this long tonight. Normally, I can't talk for three hours right now. And I, you know, and with my new work schedule, a lot of these have also been on nights where the next day I got to be up early. So right now, and also Robert hates doing them. So <laughs> I don't hate doing them. I hate doing four things at the same time. I understand. So it, it, right now is not the best time for, to, to do live coverage. Um, I, I might try to twist Pat's arm to do one for the ICW Deathmatch Drive-In. On June twenty oh. seventh. Why would you do that to poor Pat? He wanted to do one for the original ICW New York, but he's the one that told me about it. So, um, if I can he get, t- hang on, he told you about it because he knows you like it. He was gonna watch it too, and then I don't know what the hell happened. Oh, we had to work. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I might try to do one for the Emmanuel Navarrete Uriel Lopez fight, but again, that's if my boxing guy is alive and able to do it. If not. I don't know. The live coverage is is in flux. That's all I can tell you. It may or may not even come back at this point. I'm tired of fighting this hard, this far uphill. So I just, I just don't have it in me right now. All right, that's it. I'm done talking now. All right. Uh, again, Tuesday on the Brad Lichum Broadcasting Network, Mark and I will tackle Devil Man Crybaby. Uh, you can read my full report of UFC on ESPN 9 in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. This Saturday, live coverage of UFC 250. Um, I have taken over some uh, professional wrestling-related review duties. I'm going to be covering some of the MLW and NWA stuff on YouTube. So I NWA up and running again? Not really, but they are still producing bits of content. So They're, you're that... covering you're covering their clip show. Um. Well, the one that I have that I missed the I missed the notification for the MLW one going live. Go, well, I know, know being, MLW has like content canned for like the next year from what the late Larry Zonka said. So that one I don't have any questions about. Well, but no, I thought no, NWO was dead in the water. Um, MLW, hang on. MLW has a, they're releasing anthologies right now. The one for low key is up, and I will as soon as we're done recording this. Actually, I'm going to watch that, write up my report, and submit it because I should have done that yesterday. Or earlier today. Um, so the NWA, once they, when they release content that actually features wrestling, at the moment, <laughs> hang on, and I don't mean that dismissively. What they have right now is more like gimmicked vignettes and sort of like podcasty stuff. And I don't think that's what they want me to cover. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, I'll, I'll be doing the MLW anthology stuff that they've released because they haven't released like a straight up fusion card yet. But again, the low key anthology, I will be writing up shortly so you can find that and you can see how my style translates to talking about professional wrestling if you're so inclined. So are but, you still doing impact as well? No. Somebody else got that gig? Yeah. Uh, what about Friday Night Smackdown? Uh, no. Lucky you. How is it? Hang on. How is covering MLW and the NWA <laughs> YouTube shows? Well, I mean, they're hour. They're only an hour long, as opposed to two or three hours. Fair point. Um, also, again, none of this is live. This is all post fact. Just a review of what I watched. So, normally they will be more timely than a full day late. Mea culpa. <laughs> uh, I will 
see you all next week then. So, Mark, thank you very much for being back. Sure. Uh, we'll see I'm what at, happens. I'm at Mark Rattledge on Twitter for those of you who hated this tonight and feel the need to tell me to go fuck myself. Yeah, be nice to Mark, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, I will be back next week with Jeff, Solo, someone who's uh, I gra- one of my backdoor neighbors who I grab and drag over the fence. I don't know. It won't we'll be see. me. I'll be watching in your house. Fair enough. I will not ask you. Until next time, everyone, per usual, stay safe out there. And please... Continue to be well, be safe, and behave.